uh, let me get into the first review. This is Arrow's release of Pulse, made in 2001, uh, Japanese ghost story. Uh, I had not seen this, actually. Uh, Japanese ghost stories really weren't my thing back in 2001. I was still in high school. I was uh, I was going through my jerk phase, is what I would call it. Uh, anytime in high school and junior high, I thought I was too good for you know ghost stories and a lot of remakes and whatnot. Uh, I didn't like new horror in particular. But uh, Pulse, it, it follows the story. It, it's a very bizarre movie. Uh, kind of ghosts start to leak through the world, through the internet uh, in a very strange way and there's a lot of suicides and you can't tell what world you're in if you're in a ghost world if you're and uh, there's a lot of characters a lot of uh, despondent characters uh, that you don't really grasp grasp onto or get to know very well which is the film's intent uh, it, it, it's a well-made film uh, it's shot well has some genuine scares in it some disturbing suicides uh, everything I think it sets out to do it does well but I don't like what it's doing. I'm not particularly a fan of the movie. I, I feel that it, it becomes a chore to watch because I can never get interested in anything that's happening, although there's moments of creepiness. Like a scene builds well, but then it goes on to the next scene, and none of them really seem to go together well. Uh, like I said, it's one of those movies where it kind of stumbles into to set piece to set piece, uh, on the, the Blu-ray itself, uh, it looks good. It sounds good, as best as it will. This is a low-budget film. Uh, it has Simon Barrett and uh, Adam Winger talking about the movie, and they seem to enjoy it for that reason, that it never really connects with the audience and creates a creepy atmosphere, which it does do. Like I said, though, it's hard for me to watch. They're, they talk interestingly about the movie, obviously, fans of it. Uh, the director's on here, and uh, you get a you get a interview with the director and the cinematographer and through that you kind of uh, get to meet this director you get to see his shooting style which I really enjoyed uh, how he directs actors and how he makes films and that's much more interesting to me than the actual movie uh, besides that uh, like I said all the archival stuff is ported over so you get to see behind the scenes how they did special effects uh, and I, I like that kind of stuff all in all it's a, it's a nice release especially if you enjoyed the movie but again these really aren't my typical style of film although they did go on to make a lot of American remakes and they do inspire some movies that I do enjoy uh, so I think it's worth looking at because some people will love this it's just definitely one of those deals where it's not for me and I don't think it's bad it's just it's it's definitely not something that I could really get into but check out the arrow video uh, for more information uh, I think some of you guys will dig it <laughs> The first time I think the movie really shows a ghost and, and, and she moves, like I remember like just like gasping because it was just like so unnerving and creepy and weird, but I couldn't ever articulate why. The next one here is Vampire Cop by Donald Farmer. This was made in the late 80s, early 90s. Now, it was shot on 16mm and edited on tape, so it looks like crap. Uh, There's not much you can really do about that kind of stuff. A lot of these movies, I believe it was edited on tape, or there's no more elements regardless, because it, it is in widescreen on the disc, but it's beat up, and it's not a HD master or anything like that. Uh, Donald Farmer is a low-budget director. He did tons of stuff. Uh, Scream Dream, uh... 
Demon Queen. Uh, he's doing movies nowadays, Shark Exorcist and Cannibal Cop. So uh, Donald Farmer is a very busy person, uh, makes a lot of movies, has been involved with independent and uh, low-budget horror films for a very, very long time. So let me talk about Vampire Cop. This uh, disc actually has the original cut and the director's cut on here, never before seen. I watched the director's cut thinking that was the more preferred version. As I watched it, I realized that a lot of the sound was it was pretty terrible. Uh, and I, I, I chalked that up to being just a low-budget movie. But there's certain scenes when a character will be talking uh, like this, yelling and it will cut to somebody else in complete silence and cut back to him and there's voice uh, him he's talking and, and and I realize it's like it can't be that inept it can't be that poorly put together uh and as uh it finished, I uh, listened to it with the commentary and Donald Farmer talks about him assembling this kind of cut and the original had more nudity added in by the producers. So uh, I was more intrigued to watch the original cut. And I must say, I prefer the original cut getting into that. The original cut has more nudity, but again, the director's cut actually has some scenes that really need to be in the original cut to make it make any sense. So what we have here is a cop who's a vampire and he basically goes up against this uh, local kind of uh, drugged prostitute kingpin. Uh, this pretty much sets up a lot of nudity, a lot of boobs, uh, uh, a lot of silliness, a lot of bad acting. Uh, and, and, and the acting ranges. Some of these faces are familiar. They went on to do other things. They're under stage names here. Uh, some of it's piss poor. Really, really bad. Uh, the dialogue is sometimes super cheesy. Uh, this movie would probably be enjoyable in a group of friends. Uh, but uh, the theater, theatrical cut I preferred. Uh, I think the sound's put together better. The music's, everything's better about it. In the director's cut, there's lots of complete silent scenes here. Uh, the commentary is actually the highlight of the release. Donald Farmer... Uh, is an encyclopedia of film knowledge and uh, he talks about all the movies he worked on and he can connect the dots to anybody to anywhere in film and I think that's very interesting uh, for, for the release it's not a it's, a, it's the best release this movie's going to get you get two versions of it you get a commentary uh, all in all there's so many uh, cop movies there's uh, what is there uh, demon cop uh, maniac cop psycho cop wolf cop zombie cop bio cop all these cop movies but out of all the ones that I've seen which is a it's a big chunk of them I unfortunately put Vampire Cop on, on one of the lower ones. Uh, but it is short, and it does have tons of nudity to make the time fly by. And some unintentional laughter here and there. And there is some intentional laughter here as well. But that's Vampire Cop. Check out the trailer. You'll know exactly what you're getting into when you do that. <laughs> Next one here is from Kino Lorber. This is The Hunting Party from 1971. Uh, I toyed at buying this DVD for, for a very long time. It was an MGM. It was out of print. It had Oliver Reed. It had Gene Hackman in it. And it was a Western. And it was supposed to be particularly violent. And I was like, hmm, man, that sounds like something too good to pass up. I, I really want to see Oliver Reed and Gene Hackman share the screen. It also has, I can't think of the actors, uh, Candace Bergen, who's in tons of stuff. Uh, she, she's such a familiar face, one of those actresses. It also has L.Q. Jones in it, uh, Simon Oakland, uh, and uh, who else is in it? There's a couple more familiar. Uh, William Watson, is that that guy's name? He's, he's in some other things as well. So there's some familiar faces in this movie. And uh, Mitchell Ryan, 
what we have here is a, is a very generic setup. Uh, a group of bandits kidnaps uh, this rich man's wife, and he gets a posse together to hunt them down. But uh, there's a lot more going on than meets the eye. It's, it's much deeper movie than one would expect, and it got a bad rep when it came out. A lot of people, you know, uh, falsely accused it of being chauvinistic, even though it has chauvinistic characters in the movie. It doesn't necessarily make the movie chauvinistic. But uh, those are the characters that are portrayed in the movie. And it's a hard time and it's a hard movie. The opening of the movie, there's there's real-life animal death right in the opening. And uh, right there, in the, in the first five minutes of the movie, you realize Gene Hackman is sleeping with his wife and he's he's being sadistic. He's, he's getting off on hurting her. And uh, Oliver Reed is actually killing a bull or a steer. And him and his friends are, or his colleagues or his posse are eating it. So right then, you understand that Gene Hackman is a character who's savage because he wants to be, and Oliver Reed's a character who's savage because he has to be. Uh, and this sets up the whole movie here. Uh, Oliver Reed plays the bandit, uh, and he kidnaps Candace, and they go across country. And of course, when uh, Gene Hackman finds out about it, uh, nobody steals from him. It's not even the uh, he loves his wife, it's on principle. So him and his buddies have these high-powered new rifles that can shoot up to 800 yards, and they start picking off this gang of 23 men uh, with headshots, gratuitous stuff. And uh, when people die, you feel bad. Uh, there's lots of moments where the characters uh, kind of go in themselves that aren't Gene Hackman. Gene Hackman's a monster in this. And uh, he's, he's definitely a man on a mission, a man out for revenge that doesn't have much humanity and is willing to lose all of it to get this uh, to get this person. But uh, the movie's really hard-hitting. Uh, the score is done by Riz Ortolani, who's one of the best, who did Cannibal Holocaust, among other things. Uh, you know, he's an amazing composer. And uh, the, the score here is very memorable, very good. Uh, Oliver Reed's always top-notch. Gene Hackman's always top-notch. And he plays a real son of a bitch. And he does a great job. And uh, Candace uh, Bergen is also really good in here. LQ Jones plays, you know, uh, sleazeball, like he always does, kind of. From Ballad, he's in from Ballad of Cable Hogue, where he plays a piece of crap uh, as well. But yeah, I, I was really impressed with this movie. If you like hard hitting, nasty westerns that have a lot to say, that uh, then I really check out The Hunting Party. You know, it's similar to stuff like The Wild Bunch, or it definitely has a Sam Peckinpah feel, uh, like something like Straw Dogs, kind of that kind of style of movie. But uh, it's really well made, and uh, if you like these actors, which I particularly do, who doesn't like Oliver Reed, uh, then I say really check this one out. Uh, I love the kind of revenge story, but uh, this way that it does, it puts uh, Candace Bergen in between these two kind of uh, bad people. One who's like a sadistic husband who looks at her as property and, and somebody else who is, is kind of like a banded outlaw sort of deal. Uh, not necessarily an outlaw until he kidnaps her, but uh, he's just, he has some more sympathy than Gene Hackman. He actually kidnaps her to learn to read, which adds a depth to his character, and there's friendship between and, and uh, relationships between his, him and his posse, and, and as well as Gene Hackman, and they have this weird hierarchy. But a really great movie. There's a commentary on here, which I got a chance to listen to part of it, uh, with uh, who's on there, Howard Berger, and a film historian as well, which is really cool. And there's an interview with uh, Mitchell Ryan, I believe it is, or is it Ryan Mitchell? I can't remember, but he's a character actor. He's in a bunch of stuff. But a uh, great release, great movie. Looks pretty good, and I'm, I'm happy to see it finally after all these. I was super excited when it came in. But that's Hunting Party. Really cool. When you go hunting with Brant Ruger, you go first class all the way. Private railroad cars, the finest food and wines, beautiful women, the best hunting equipment. No gun has that rate. Seven hundred dollars a piece. 
It's a present for you, boys. One for each of you. I thought it would add a little something to the hunting. And the most dangerous game of all, man. Wife's been kidnapped. I am Brand Ruger's wife. It don't matter whose wife you are. Kill man, Matt. No, this will do it. Seven, eight hundred yards. You mean to say that we go up against them? Up close, no. But from a distance. The next one we have here. I actually didn't even open this. I uh, watched it on uh, Voodoo. It's the Outlaw Josie Wales. I know. Why am I talking about the Outlaw Josie Wales? Because you know what? This is one of those movies I don't hear anybody talk about anymore. Uh, I'm sure people still do. Everybody knows it. It's a Clint Eastwood movie directed by Clint Eastwood. Uh, and it's got a bunch of people in it. John Vernon. Uh, who else is in the damn thing? Jeez, uh, everybody's blanking my head right now. But John Vernon, uh, most famously, is in here as well. My favorite character in it. But, uh, yeah, uh, Wood, Woodfree uh, Parfrey. Parfry? Wood, Woodrow Parfry? I can't remember the guy's name. He plays a Weasley guy. But, yeah, I watched this on Voodoo. Uh, this movie's made in 1976. It's kind of hard to believe this movie came out the same year as Rocky. kind of blows your mind, doesn't it? And uh, Taxi Driver as well. It's just insane to think that they're still making westerns like this. Uh, anybody that's not seen Outlaw Josie Wales, this is one movie I saw a hundred times on TV and never, I'm sure, if I saw it all the way through. Uh... Um, Clint Eastwood plays this kind of farmer who the uh, Union Army uh, kills his family. He joins up with a Confederate kind of group, and they don't want to give up. The war's ending. Uh, they're kind of backstabbed, and outlaw Josie Wales uh, attacks the Union Army and goes on the run. Everybody's out to get, uh, you know, uh, Clint Eastwood in this one. And this is one of the movies that made Clint Eastwood so... Uh, charming <laughs> his the, the one-liners in this movie are very very memorable uh the snake oil snake oil salesman is selling this stupid elixir and he's like it's good for everything yada 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 and clint eastwood goes over and he always spits and he spits on his suit and says how's it for stains just stuff like that that's just absolutely brilliant uh it's again it's a pretty hard-hitting movie not as hard as something like the hunting party which i was talking about previously but uh it has its moments uh there's a lot of comedy in here, and there's a lot of good characters. Uh, he ends up forming relationships and kind of gets his own posse uh, along the way of, you know, kind of creating his own little, you know, family again. So it's a really well-made movie, uh, and it's a, it's a period piece. There's lots of cool stuff in here. It's long, but uh, there's tons of action. Will Sampson's in here as an Indian chief, uh, and it kind of shows you how a... Uh, cruel the civil war uh actually was and you know uh you know sometimes you know the big army is particularly mean to the small army a lot of the time but it's a revenge driven movie as most western kind of style movies are and uh it's freaking brilliant it's a uh, vastly entertaining clint eastwood's great in it and uh john vernon plays a very very good role in here he plays the uh character that uh convinces all of them to turn themselves in and uh the guy he trusted backstabs uh his group, and uh, he's put between a rock and a hard place. You don't say no to the Union Army when they force you to do something. And uh, the relationship between uh, John Vernon and Clint Eastwood at the end is really cool. But I uh, really recommend this one. Uh, anybody that hasn't seen it, I have not got a chance to watch the features on here. I'm sure there's tons and tons of stuff on here. But I, I just wanted to talk about the movie because I don't hear anybody talk about it anymore. And it's freaking awesome. Suddenly, his wife and child were dead. The feud was about to begin. 
hound this wheels to kingdom come. Because of what you did here today, I've got to kill that man. Well, he'll have to run for it now. And hell is where he's headed. Clint Eastwood is the outlaw Josie Wales. Well, not a hard man to track. Leaves dead men wherever he goes. Get out of the way, woman! I get to liking someone, they ain't around long. I notice when you get to disliking someone, they ain't around for long either. Well, the one that everyone's so scared of, Al. Yeah. We got the Josie Wales, Abe. We got reward money coming. You're wanted, Wales. You a bounty hunter? Yeah, he's got to do something for a living these days. Diane ain't much of a living boy. The next one here, directed by Don Siegel. Uh, this is a German import of Charlie Varick. Uh, now, I must admit, I heard about this from the Pier Cinema podcast with Elric Kane and Brian Sauer. Uh, I had not heard of the movie, which surprised me, as Walter Matthau, Andrew Robinson, John Vernon, uh, Joe Don Baker, and uh, again, uh, Wood, Woodrow uh, Parfrey from uh, Outlaw Josie Wales, John Varner from Outlaw Josie Wales as well. Uh, yeah, this is a crime film from uh, the 70s, and uh, it really surprised me. Really, really good stuff. Uh, Walter Matthau and Andrew Robinson and uh, Walter Matthau's wife in the movie uh, pull a bank heist out. They get the money, but they realize they uh, the money was actually being laundried for a big crime uh, syndicate. So they get more than cops on their tails. This leads to a lot of uh, clever script writing, and uh, moments and double crosses and Walter Matthau is great in it uh, and it, it's really cool to see him not play a comedic role because growing up Walter Matthau always popped up grumpy old man and uh, Dennis the Menace he was always a comedic character to me but see him in a serious role uh, to be taken seriously is really cool uh, again pretty violent uh, pretty mean spirited at times uh, especially when the people you're supposed to be sympathetic towards I guess the most sympathetic towards are shooting cops right in the beginning that are innocent uh, so it's not necessarily a movie where everyone's great. Andrew Robinson from Hellraiser plays a, a dummy, and you hate him because he's so stupid, but he's also great in here. Uh, Joe Don Baker plays an assassin kind of character, and he has this evil smirk that is put on, and he just it, he looks so freaking scary, but also he's enjoying the whole thing when he does horrible things. Uh, the highlight of this movie for me is there's a scene where... Uh, Two, they, uh, the organization, uh, John Vernon, is the bank owner, and he's laundering the money. And he realizes that there's only two people in this bank that know that they were going to be having that money. So it, he realizes that it's going to be blamed on him or the slimy uh, Weasley guy, Wood, Woodrow. So the conversation that John Vernon has with him is such an intense moment. Just pure script writing 101. It's brilliant. And... Uh, it goes to show you what two good actors can bring to the table instead of flashy, you know, editing or anything like that. It's a very simple shot, very simple scene, but the acting and the dialogue and the writing really brings it to life. I haven't got a chance to watch the special features on here, but Don Siegel, you know, he did the original 56 Invasion of the Body Snatchers, which is a masterpiece, and Dirty Harry with uh, Clint Eastwood. So, yeah, it, it's a really good movie, and I had never heard anyone talk about it before Pure Cinema Podcast, and, you know... It, 
that kind of podcast and, you know, revisiting movies I hadn't seen in years that I loved uh, and going back to watching a lot of the 60s, 70s, and 80s movies and 90s movies that are like crime and action and comedy that I, I hadn't seen in years or missed uh, really kind of breathe some more life into my movie uh, watching because I was getting a little burnout if, uh, at sometimes just watching the same old kind of stuff. But yeah, Charlie Verrick, good stuff as well. You've seen Charlie Barrett? You're an interesting man, Mr. Barrett. Last of the independence. You want to die for somebody else's money? Half a million? Could be. Harold Young, Trace Cruz's bank manager, has estimated that the bandits escaped with less than $2,000. Who are they kidding? Us? It's 10 to 1. This stuff belongs to the Mafia. This is gambling money. Skimmed off the top. The Mafia kills you. No trial, no judge. They never stop looking for you. Not till you're dead. I'd rather have 10 FBI's after me. And the last is Death Wish 5 with Charlie Bronson. This is actually the Scandinavian version, which I picked up a little bit ago. I had not seen Death Wish 5. It was the last Death Wish movie I had to watch. Yeah, it's toned down from uh, 3 and 4. 3 and 4 are absolutely ridiculous, but it's still ridiculous in its own right. This one feels much more like a crime mob. Uh, basically, Bronson goes against a mob syndicate played. The lead of that is Michael Parks, who's great in here. Uh, also popping up is Sal Rubinex, uh, Miguel uh, Sandoval, and uh, I think that's all off the top of my head who's in here. But yeah, it's got a nice little cast as well. Rule of thumb, if you're in a movie, never date Charles Bronson. You're going to die. I mean, Mr. Majestic, she turned out okay, but nearly in every Death Wish movie, the, anybody comes around Charles Bronson, they die, even if it's almost ridiculous how it happens. Oh, Also, Ro uh, Robert Joy's in here as well as uh, you know, a cross-dressing assassin, uh, disguise, master disguise with dandruff. Super weird. But... Uh, it's batshit crazy, you know, it was produced by uh, Golem or Glomas, or one of the two, I don't remember if it was both of them this time around or just one, but uh, Bronson has to go against the mob, uh, there's this weird fashion show element in here as well, so they squeeze in a lot more nudity than a typical for a Death Wish movie. This movie had a bad rap for being just really stupid, and yeah, there is moments of stupidity, uh, but I love watching Charles Bronson be more clever with how he kills people, similar to the mechanic where Bronson's actually plotting out the deaths instead of just going down the street with a machine gun. Uh, they realize he's a little older, so, you know, Bronson's got to be a little bit smarter about the kills. Uh, points of where he poisons the cannoli, which is hilarious. Uses a remote-control soccer ball uh, bomb. Uh, but the end has a nice, good old-fashioned shootout. Uh, people die horribly in the movie. It's very, very violent, mean-spirited. Uh, at, at points, uh, I almost it almost took me out of the movie where I was like, man, do you really got to kill this person, too? It, it's mean-spirited. Uh but it's really uh, goofy at the same time, but a little bit more down-to-earth than 3 and 4. Uh, still entertaining. Still enjoyed the hell out of it. I like Bronson, and they set it up for a sixth one. Uh, if they would have known this would have been the last one, it would have been nice to see uh, Paul Kersey go out on, you know, a final note, an infinite note, a finite note. That would have been really cool. Uh, but yeah, it's not region free. I thought it was. It is not. So uh, it is region B. So you need a region free player. But it comes with a DVD too if you're if you're interested. The world of glamour and high fashion. A new crime syndicate is taking over. Peekaboo. 
I watched this guy coming up through the Irish gangs, and now he's ruthless. He's infiltrated every aspect of my business. Their methods are brutal. Promise me if anything should happen to me, he'll take care of Chelsea. Gone. The one thing they didn't count on was an enemy who wouldn't back down. You know, these people, they steal, they murder, destroy people's lives and get away with it. Kersey's no amateur. You've got a problem. Charles Bronson is back. I'm coming for you, Hoshe. And this time, he's not leaving until his wish is their command. No judge, no jury, no appeal, and no deals. Let the cops take these guys down. Sometimes the law works. And sometimes it doesn't. It's showtime. It's history. Where's the girl? Charles Bronson. Guns make you nervous? Death Wish. The first movie I will be reviewing is The Stenhall Syndrome by Dario Argento. This was made actually in the mid-90s. Uh, and after a couple uh, American commercial failure, failures, uh, Dario went back to Italy. Uh, you know, uh, he was more famous there. He had more uh, creative freedom. And he went there and he uh, made The Stenhall Syndrome with his uh, daughter Aja Argento. Uh, yeah, I remember watching this movie actually uh, a, a long time ago. I didn't actually watch the butchered uh, Terrible Trauma DVD. I did see the original Blue Underground DVD, and I always remembered enjoying it. I didn't remember everything about it, but uh, as I put this one in, I was pleasantly surprised. A lot of people see this as Argento's last masterpiece, and to me, I hope there's another masterpiece coming, but I think this one is his last great film. Uh, what we have here is uh, it opens up with a kind of a confused woman going to this beautiful art gallery in Italy, and uh, she starts to suffer from this thing called the Stenhall Syndrome, which has been documented uh, in history before. Uh, beautiful pieces of art kind of cause confusion, hallucinations, and sometimes uh, personality uh, changes. Uh, we find out uh, she's uh, quickly taken advantage of by uh, a strange man, uh, Back at her apartment, we find out she was actually a cop with the anti-rape unit uh, trying to track this guy down who is a serial rapist and murderer who is uh, uh, taking victims out in Italy. So that sets up the movie. This uh, Stenhall syndrome that affected Aja Argento and the rape kind of uh, bring on this dramatic uh, personality change that makes her very aggressive and uh different. Uh, she pushes away her boyfriend uh, and she starts seeing the psychiatrist. So we get this weird kind of psychological aspect uh, that is is prevalent in some Dario Argento films like Bird with the Crystal Plumage. Uh, in fact, that movie is very similar with how the killer uh, actually has their motives. It's art correlating with uh, murder and there's a lot of art and death and uh, weird stuff correlating together in this one as well. A lot of uh, images of blood uh, sprinkling down on white and uh, blood coming down on faces that it, it resembles like a paint on canvas, I guess I'll say, is, is kind of what it's going for at, at certain points in the movie. Uh, what's really cool about the Stenhall Syndrome is uh, with that uh, disease that Aja is suffering from, uh, it can make artwork in the movie uh, almost horrific at times or super surreal. So she'll walk in paintings and have beautiful beautiful scenery. She'll dive to the bottom of uh, the ocean in a painting. I think it's the Fall of Icarus is the painting. And she'll sink all the way to the bottom and make weird, uh, you know, relationship with this bizarre fish. 
Uh, and there's a scene where she's actually trapped with some graffiti, uh, and there's some real nasty graffiti on the wall, and it comes to life for a second. The score is by Ennio Morricone, so that's nice to see Dario Argento and Ennio Morricone back together again. Luigi Cazzi's working on the film. So we got a lot of cool stuff going for it. It's got a good soundtrack. It's it's, it's immensely well acted. Uh, it, it's got a great concept. And uh, the end of the movie is, is really twisted. The whole, the whole idea that, uh, you know, violence breeds violence is in there as well. But uh, I'm interested in everything that's going on. And the guy who plays the killer, I can't think of his name, Thomas uh, Kranchen, he's a German guy, is one of the most sadistic, t terrifying killers I've seen in a very, very long time. He actually seems like he's getting off on the whole the whole thing, which he's supposed to be, but he's just a dangerous, scary rapist. Uh, some of the CGI is, is very dated, but it was uh, state-of-the-art for the time. And uh, Argent is always trying to do new things, and he was trying to do new things with the uh, digital effects. And they don't really hold up today, but uh, I can't hate on a movie for it. Uh, uh, I think it's a well-made, interesting movie with a lot going on. Uh, psychological and surreal, but grounded. And uh, the twist, I I don't know if it's necessarily a twist. There's some misdirection to kind of throw you off. But uh, Aja Argento gets a really greasy, uh, juicy, not greasy, juicy role in here where she gets to have this duality. Uh the movie, the, the, ah, the release comes with a bunch of features on here. It has a commentary uh, by the guy who wrote uh, a bunch of Jello books. He does a lot of stuff for Arrow. The guy's a genius. He knows his stuff. He does a great commentary on here. There's new interviews with Aja Argento and uh, one of the special effects artists, not Sergio Stivaletti. Uh, all the old uh, special features are put on a DVD for you with a Dario Argento. Uh, the production designer is my favorite interview on that one because they keep asking about old movies that he worked on like uh, contamination and at times he just starts laughing he's like why are you asking me about all this crap and he knows that they're, they're B-movies and the guy asking the question kind of knows they're B-movies but they have a good laugh about it it's really funny uh, but yeah those are the features on here also it has the movie on Blu-ray it looks amazing especially compared to the old DVD and if you saw the Troma DVD I imagine it looks like you know uh, the best thing ever but it looks really good uh, it sounds good the soundtrack's great you can watch it in its original Italian or in English but uh, I was really impressed with the movie on revisiting it, and uh, it's one of Argento's best. I mean, uh, I still wish he made movies like this, but it's a real winner from Blue Underground. I enjoy the movie. The only thing that I would have a problem with is some of the dated CGI, but I can't crucify the movie for that. Uh, check out the trailer. A new film by the master of the psychological thriller, Dario Argento. And I entered a painting. It was as if I, if I was suddenly immersed in it. I know it sounds crazy. What happened to you when the Uffizi is known as the Stendhal Syndrome? Your gun, Assistant Inspector Manny. The Stendhal Syndrome. Syndrome, a spine-chilling excursion into a world of unrestrained terror. The Stendhal Syndrome, written and directed by Dario Argento. The next one we have here is by Severin. This is Bag Boy, Lover Boy. Yeah, 
This one is a bizarre one. The only way I can really explain it to you guys is by kind of name-dropping some other oddball movies so you get the kind of feel from it. It reminds me of the serial killer, the British serial killer movie, Tony. It reminds me of the Greasy Strangler. It reminds me of Chocolate Strawberry Vanilla. And it even reminds me of something like Cat Sick Blues, where it takes this outside weird character uh, and it throws him in this kind of strange world, though. A Bag Boy, Lover Boy is more realistic than some of those other movies, uh, but we have this kind of a character named Albert, who's this lonely kind of loser, and uh, this this photographer spots him named Ivan, and he's an exploitative, manipulative, bad person. But he's he's very uh, he has tons of charisma. He's hilarious. Uh, and what he does is he kind of exploits Albert into these taking these weird fetish uh, fixation photos with his models. Uh, this kind of has a weird. Uh, uh, I guess I'll say impact on Albert, and especially when he is kind of hounded by Ivan at one point where he's yelled at and kind of belittled. Uh, this causes Albert to snap, which although it does seem a little bit ridiculous that Albert snapped here. But what's strange about this movie is Albert, uh, in real life, I think as well, is kind of this awkward kind of person. Uh, and especially in the movie, he's the way he handles situations, the way he talks, uh, creates for everything to be really cringeworthy and uncomfortable. Uh, and then you put him across his character like Ivan, who's this louder than loud, loud as hell, larger than life kind of a egomaniac, and it, it, it's, it makes for great, great uh, cinema. Uh, of course, you know, it turns into your kind of your your slasher, I guess you'll say, sleazy slasher movie. There's points of real nice suspense, but also everything's kind of comedic until the actual murders happen, and they're, they're pretty brutal. There's moments in this movie when I actually uh, laughed out loud. I cringed. I, uh, you know, real gross stuff in here. He is a hot dog vendor, so the hot dog falls on the ground. He picks it up and tries to serve it. Stuff like that. There's a lot of cringe stuff in here. There's a lot of gross-out humor, and it's really dark and twisted. I mean, it involves necrophilia and murder with a... Uh, bags over the head and whatnot but one of the most memorable lines in the movie there's a couple especially you'll see it in the trailer when he says he's like a deli boy a deli boy from hell he's perfect the, the lines he says this delivery is genius uh i really enjoyed the movie and i think on repeat viewings it will get better to be honest i think that uh it's unique and different and i think people that like that kind of strange uh character study with that warped warped sense of humor and and violence uh will really enjoy this one it looks really sleazy and gritty as well uh i liked it uh, i did think some of the flashes were kind of strange and thrown in there when he hallucinates that he's dancing there's there's a lot of this kind of like having these oddball characters go to dance clubs and or dance and just have these weird moments of like uh, it's, it's similar to cat sick blues there's kind of a scene like that but really bizarre, bizarre character study, but uh, really well acted for the most part as well. Uh, and a lot of the characters in here are quirky besides uh, Ivan and Albert. But yeah, I would recommend, especially if you like that kind of strange cinema. On the, uh, There is a commentary uh, with the editor and director and uh, the guy who plays Ivan. I think his name is uh, Theodore... Uh, Bulu Kass? I'm not sure. Sorry, I I saw it once, but I can't I can't recall it. But this guy's he's been in a bunch of movies and he's really great in this. Sorry for the mispronunciation of his name. Uh, but there's also some short films by uh, the lead actor in here. And through the commentary, you kind of realize that this guy has been acting in their movies for a long time. They kind of force him to do it, and and they were in film college together. And uh, he gets he's a very awkward guy. There's even a commentary on one of the shorts, but really awkward. There's a trailer as well. I would recommend it. It's bizarre. It's different. Uh, I think I love it, but I'll need to see it a couple more times. Can we have two hot dogs, please? 
Buddy, uh, I'm guessing that hot dog is not for me, right? That is disgusting. What's your name, anyway? Albert. No. You know, the heat from the grill actually helps keep the hot dogs clean and germ-free. What are you doing? Taking your picture. I found quite a specimen. I'm telling you, he is gold. We're gonna make a little scene here. He's so shy. <gasps> he looks like a bag boy in a deli. From a deli in hell. He's gonna be the centerpiece of my next show. Roots and vegetables, he's a growing Some boy. Milk. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Look at that cream oh, art. Real art. I don't know anything about art. Kill the pig! Butcher Albert's come to town. That was my first camera. My only question is, are you ready? Ready for what? Ready to snort coke off the tits of some model on the beaches of Saint-Tropez. Pretend that you're eating the hot dogs and you're really hungry. Albert, you're such a stallion. I know you like my hot dogs, but you haven't seen anything yet. The next one, first time watch for me. I'm double checking the year because I still can't believe this was made in 1953. This is House of Wax with Vincent Price and... Charlie Bronson. Yeah, one of uh, Bronson's earlier roles. He plays an Igor-type character named Igor. But uh, yeah, I never saw House of Wax. I know I'd seen the stuff that was inspired by wax masks, wax work. So it was kind of a shame I hadn't seen it. Made in 1953. And to put this in perspective, this came out one year before The Creature from the Black Lagoon. This one's in color. Uh, what we have here is this eccentric, uh, but very sweet and nice uh Guy who runs this waxing museum, played by Vincent Price, he he molds these wax figures and he loves them to death. Uh, of course, something tragic happens where he gets in a fight and uh, the wax museum burns down and he disappears. Everybody thinks he's dead. Of course, knowing Vincent Price, you know, like Fives or like Theater of Blood, Vincent, he's not dead. He's, of course, horribly scarred. And these murders start to happen and, of course, Vincent Price pops back up in a wheelchair and all the art displays, uh, the wax displays, kind of look a little too real, if you know what I mean. Uh, but it's a fun movie. Uh, you know where it's going in every second. Uh, there's really... Uh, Vincent Price is lovely in it. And Charles Bronson's great as well. He plays this brutish kind of a henchman for Vincent Price. And guys built like a brick sheet house back then. Uh, it's a, a very enjoyable uh, classic movie. It looks good. It sounds good. I, I didn't get to watch it in 3D. I don't really want to talk too much about it because I'm sure so many people have seen The House of Wax, but it also includes the mystery in the Wax Museum as well, which is a 30s horror movie, but uh, it's really good stuff, a really fun uh, kind of 50s style movie. Uh, it has some pretty gnarly violence in it, uh, especially one of the kills is super elaborate. Uh, Vincent Price and elaborate kills go hand in hand, but that's A House of Wax. Uh, if you haven't seen it, uh, do yourself a favor and check it out. Remade, uh, I believe in 2003 with uh, Paris Hill. House of Wax was the key 3D theatrical experience. It was absolutely extraordinary because of the intelligent design, utilizing the space to tell the story and to create a mood in this case, a thriller horror mood, which really enhanced the use of depth. In a sense, depth really enhanced the story. This was something very special. When seen in color and seen in 3D, and with its original stereophonic sound, which was impressive at the time, it's quite a movie. House of Wax restored the gothic horror film to its rightful place as a commercial genre. I thought the makeup was really cool. And, uh, that's what really attracted me. That's why I wanted to see it, because it had a cool makeup in it that George Bow did. You also have to talk about Benson Price, who was just one of my favorites. 
film is not priceless without him. <laughs> you know? So it's whenever he's on, um, there's a presence there that's really fascinating to watch. The whole part embodied my dad's love of the visual arts. And absolutely, absolutely, without a doubt, that was the passion of his life. You could have taken anything else away, but he needed to believe in the power of the visual arts. It's one of the great Hollywood stories is that it was when they wanted a director for it, they hired a man with one eye who couldn't see 3D at all. Andre de Toth was a very good director, but he really was the wrong director for 3D because he couldn't see. But he made a good picture. He made essentially a very good thriller. Hustle breaks what meant somebody's dream busted. You may not realize it, but if you think back, you feel sorry for this man who dreamt giving beauty to people. And somebody for money destroyed that dream. That is House of X. And that is the reason it lives. Next one I actually do not have a copy of. It is by Chuck Connery, who did uh, Morbid. It is uh, door one of the five doors to hell. That title to me is this almost a tongue twister. Uh, he did, like I said, a movie before called Morbid, uh, which uh, was a slasher. I didn't get a chance to see. But uh, Chuck is a, a fellow reviewer. He does a lot of written reviews for, I think, Zombies Don't Run is the site he works on. But yeah, uh, so this is a very low-budget, independent movie. Uh, so And it's an anthology film, so uh, I can kind of relate, you know, making a low-budget anthology film myself. But uh, door one to the five doors of hell. What we have here is a, it opens up with a group of, uh, you know, whore-crazed, uh, well, two whore-crazed uh, fans and their girlfriends in a video store trying to find a tape to take home. They're arguing with the shopkeep. He's like, get out of here, hurry up, I want to go home. Uh, so eventually he kind of forces this weird tape on him. Uh, of course, you know the tape is haunted. That setup's been done before. Evil, kind of strange tape. He gets sucked into the tape. Uh, it kind of seems like stay tuned a little bit here. Uh, so they go home and they get sucked into the tape. Each one of them has their own story. There's this weird kind of narrator who's basically wearing a mask and talking through the mask, probably 80 yard afterwards. Uh, there's four stories that unfold. Uh, one's a hillbilly whore, one's a haunted car, one's a mad scientist story, and one's a zombie slasher story. What I do like about the movie is sometimes the same characters, the same actors are reused. And they uh, are the same, you know, the same actors. So it seems like these poor uh, people have to keep coming into this evil tape, like they're trapped in there, like that's their destiny to play reoccurring characters to just be slaughtered. And uh, they do a nice little shout out to Return of the Living Dead Part 2 in there. Uh, the movie is riddled with horror references. And uh, for me, that's a, sometimes it's, it works and other times it's very annoying to me. Uh, here it gets to the point where I'm like, I understand, you know, a lot about horror movies. This movie's made for horror fans too. But so if you're, if you're not a horror fan, you, you won't get any of the references. They dig fairly deep in here. They reference 555 and stuff like that. They do shout-outs to Massacre Video. Uh, not really my thing when they're that they're that obvious and that abundant. Uh, at times, it gets a little uh, you know repetitive and annoying. But what they the, the, the concept is great. The idea of horror fans being shoved into a horror movie. Uh, they kind of did it with Final Girls. At one point, one of the characters is there. Or Scream, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, but... Uh, some of these characters know how to beat it. Uh, some of them get wiped out. The gore in here is uh, mostly just splatter here and there. Uh, 
Some of it looks all right. Uh, the zombies in the movie, some of them I wouldn't know are zombies if I didn't know it was a zombie movie. That kind of effect, they're just kind of hobbling in the background like, ah, I'm a zombie. And you're like, okay, you know, I'll, I'll let that kind of stuff slide to me. Uh, some of the stuff I didn't like was particularly a lot of the acting. I know a lot of people are, you know, amateur actors. Some of them are fun. Some of them are having fun and I can appreciate that. Some are pretty rough. Uh, it seems like sometimes they're improvising and a lot of the improvising turns into, hey bitch, what's up bitch? Here's bitch. And that, that, that kind of stuff, it just gets really tedious to me. Uh, some of, like I said, some of the people were having fun. In particular, there's two characters who kind of play the, the uh, I guess, the movie's idiots or goons. Uh, and there's a really funny heart-to-heart -heart moment with those two. Uh, there's a couple dialogue scenes that are funny. All in all, it just... It, it, uh, some of the scenes, I appreciate what they're trying to do. The shout-outs to all the classic horror movies. Uh... But it, it, but sometimes it does, it does get a little painful due to the acting and the dialogue. Mostly a lot of the dialogue. Uh... The sound issues, which I, I, I've been told that they're going to be taken care of at a certain point, so they're temporary. This was a screener copy. Uh, are pretty bad in the opening in the video store. There's a lot of hissing and popping and stuff like that. Uh, some of the framing could be better, but, you know, I understand that kind of stuff in a low-budget stuff, uh, you know. So if you watch the trailer and it seems like you dig it, then check it out. Uh, I'm, I'm, it's not really my thing, but I appreciate what the hell they're trying to do at the same time. Hey, Lewis, how are you still in business with this shit, man? None of this looks like anything a real horror fan would want to watch. Jake, I think I got something that'll be right up your alley. Do you have a VCR? It's the damn tape, Scarlet. Lewis set us up. It has to be some kind of illusion. We better stop this fucking tape. Uh, I guess I'll go into the Q and A. Uh, I'll probably be looking down here and there. Uh, I have a uh, probably a, a dozen questions or so, so I'll hop right into this. I'm gonna have on the main camera here, so apologize if I look down to read. It's nothing. I. Tim Evans, what is your favorite movie? My favorite movie is 1985's Day of the Dead. R.I.P. George Romero. Uh, Usually, I don't get all sensitive about a celebrity because I didn't personally know them. I met George once uh, at a horror convention, uh, and he was really cool. I didn't get a chance to talk to him very long. There was a huge line, but uh, it actually hit hit me. You know, I, I, I feel bad for his family and friends more so. You know, I was just a fan, but R.I.P., he was a legend. He made the best. The best horror movies I know. I just felt like I, I saw him at a young age and I connected to him very well. I felt like I understood his movies more than any other director. But uh, Day of the Dead's my favorite. Ryan Logston. Uh, what director or film series deserves an Arrow Criterion uh, upgraded release? He said I would vote for Tom Salons. Tom Sal Todd Salons would be great. Happiness on there would be great. Uh, I don't really have a series, but I got two films. The Devils by Ken Russell. Love that movie. And... Uh, the Cook, The Thief, His Wife, and Her Lover. I love that movie. That movie is insane. I never saw that many Peter Greenway. I never saw any Peter Greenway movies except that one. But that one I've watched a few times. And it is just an amazing movie with Helen Mirren and uh, Tim Roth. And uh, what is it? Michael Gambian. Uh, just a really, really great movie. Art film, but feels like a play, but just completely twisted. Uh, Max A. In what movie did you have the best experience as an actor? Ooh. It's got to be a Dustin Mills movie because uh, it is local. Uh, working usually with Brandon and Dustin there, and we have a lot of laughs. Uh, had a lot of fun on Invalid. We, uh, me and Brandon had a lot of downtime when we weren't actually acting, and we, we joked around a lot, made a lot of stupid characters and a lot of stupid stuff up. Uh, but I had a great time playing uh, 
Marco Rossi in uh, Rip 2. That was one of those roles where I uh, felt like uh, I was born to play, or <laughs> my character of me was born to play. Uh, Brian Baker, what's one scene that immediately comes to mind when you think of something gruesome in a film that has stuck with you? For me, it's the infamous eyeball scene from Zombie 2. I still cringe and kind of look away when it happens. Yeah, the Zombie 2 scene is pretty gruesome. I don't know gruesome. I'm thinking of uh, scenes that make me cringe or scenes that just bother me, especially death scenes. And I'm going to have to go with the one in Saving Private Ryan when uh, Mellish, Adam Goldberg, gets killed. Uh, just bothers the hell out of me. That knife, no, 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 he's playing with them. Anytime somebody's playing with them they're, for their life, it just it really gets to me. Or actually any scene... Uh, where a factory machine crushes someone because I work in a factory. So the mangler, let's say when that poor old lady gets smashed, ugh, kind of makes me sick. Uh, Blaine Barlett, what was your first thing you ever collected? Uh, oh, like you said, I've always been a collector. Uh, I collected tapes. I collected toys. Uh, I collected cards. I collected everything. Uh, I kept it to movies, but I've always been a collector. I have a collector's mentality, but probably either cards, superhero cards, like the old ones before they turned made everything into a game. I don't didn't get that but uh i collected just the cards with the stats and the little quips about the characters and stuff and i also collected muscleman anything i could get my hands on uh christopher d what is your favorite charles bronson movie uh the dirty dozen love that movie seen it a hundred times what is your favorite movie distributed by Mondo Macabro? My favorite by Mondo Macabro, an underrated one, is The Devil's Business, which is a really cool British uh, horror supernatural movie. But my personal favorite, let me think, that might be that. They were supposed to release A Gun for Jennifer, and that would be my favorite. Uh, Symptoms is great, which is recent. Uh, Alicarda is great, which is a DVD. So, so one of those. Those are all really cool. Uh, Steve Ingleston, will you be directing another film soon? I'm going to direct a segment for Halloween Spookies too, but as a feature film, the whole length movie, I want to, uh, maybe in the next few years. Jer Jeremiah Ball, what question is, uh, will I be directing another film? Yes, yes, sort of, like I said, sorry, same question. Thomas Townsend, when, when we get in Halloween Spookies on disc, I need my physical copies of my awesome stuff. Hell, I'd take a DVD-R of it. Uh, Halloween Spooky, sh hopefully, will be out in October sometime. We want to get it released for October, but we got some stuff to do on it. C.K. Huber, what are your thoughts, opinion on today's straight-to-video slash streaming horror movies? Do you think they are better or worse than the Hollywood horrors, horror we get in theaters? That's a tough question. I mean, it, it, it's all. It, it depends on the movie. Because you get stuff like Starry Eyes that went to VOD and stuff, and that's great. Uh, the Canal. I don't remember that ever hitting theaters. And around here, at least, those are both cool movies. But then in theaters, you get It Follows. You get The Witch. So you get good stuff both places. Uh, I think that a lot of today's uh, straight-to-video movies are pretty shitty. But they always were. But I think that back then, they were a little bit more fun. The straight-to-video movies seemed to be a little bit more fun. Like, you get, like, Leprechaun 3. and that It was stupid, but it was fun. Or The Dennis, which was silly, but great. And way more twisted than you ever expect. Now you get, like, Crocagator. And you're, that was a sci-fi version. Stuff like that is just... I don't know. So the straight-to-horror stuff is, is tough. But, I mean, the VOD is a huge platform for mid-tier movies, which tend to be the, the best nowadays. Brian Murata, can you review older films like The Devil Commands? Uh, the Devil Commands, does it have an AK name? Because that one's not ringing a bell. But I, I should, the older horror films he wants me to review, I, I will, I, I'll get to them. I'd like to, like I said, but uh, give me some suggestions. I have so much stuff, so many horror movies around here. 
Uh, Douglas, you mentioned feeling a bit burnout when watching the same old stuff, and I feel the same way. Sick of zombies, reboots, and prequels. Do you think that the best chance a low-budget filmmaker has to get noticed is to play it safe and cater to existing genre fans based based or on... Sorry, there's a little typo here, or my read, I must have copied it wrong. Based on to go out... Or to go out on a limb with some originality. Uh, sorry, I'll wait for that buzzer thing. But, uh, you know... I think that playing it safe will get you in a red box. If you put something on a cover that has a woman crawling away, or it's a ghost film, or it's like an Amityville, or or the ghost experiment, that might get you in a red box, but the people that rent it are just going to be, you know, everyday people, and they're not going to give you much exposure. I, mean, I guess if you move units, that might give you some more money to do another job, but it's always going to be something like that. I don't think you're ever going to make a huge name for yourself with uh, catering to the audience on a low-budget genre, uh, on a low-budget thing. Uh, I think that it's just going to be impossible almost for a low-budget person to get noticed in today's market. It's not like the Kevin Smith days or the Sam Raimi days where if you did get a chance to make a movie, you're putting yourself out there, you're putting a lot into it. A lot of people can make movies now, and, and there's so many movies out there that a lot of the good stuff gets shoveled under crap or doesn't get distro. There's so many people out there distributing their own stuff that it's 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 hard to find out what's good or not, you know? So, uh... I think that if you go out on a limb and make something crazy, you'll make five or six. Uh, you'll make a small portion of the people's favorite movie, which will be diehard fans. You can you can create a loyal fan base by doing that, but do I think you could strike it big? Probably not, unless you're get to that mid level. If the starry eyes or like Turbo Kid people, they could, but on the super low budget level, like a thousand dollars, if you're not a ten year old, fifteen year old kid or somebody who comes from a special place making something that is an underdog, you, it's going to be hard. It's going to be real hard. Matt Godfrey. Here's a strange question. What was the most uncomfortable and or awkward you felt acting in a film? I've only seen you in Halloween Spookies and Headless, so I think would think between those two it would be the latter. But uh, anything else that felt a bit strange filming? Uh, you know, uh, in Headless there was strange moments, and not, not because the people on set, just because uh, towards the end... Uh, that basement where they filmed it was all made gross and was it was wet. So the carpet had gotten wet and it had gotten cold at night. So laying on the carpet naked was not pleasant. And I just was like, <laughs> started getting that, that jaw shake when you can't control it. Uh, that was uncomfortable, but probably Hunters because it was my first, uh, you know, nude scene. I was nude in Hunters and it was the first time I did it. And uh, I was, you know, not in my state. I was not, and I didn't, you know, I was completely so far away from home in the middle of the woods. Not middle of the woods, but I was outside. So it was, you know, it's like diving in a pool for the first time, not dipping your toe in. That's what it felt like. But, you know, it, it's all right. You know, I got over it. But uh, those are all the questions. Uh, thanks again. And stay tuned for uh, an hour interview with Dustin Mills at the end of this uh, video. It'll It's a straight hour long. Uh, and uh, make suggestions. Who else you want me to interview? No, Don't be throwing out names like, I want to re uh, interview John Carpenter. Because that ain't going to happen. But uh, thank you very much for watching. And uh, have a good one. I'm here with uh, billionaire, prolific <laughs> filmmaker Dustin Wade. Wayne Mills? Wade. It's Wade? <laughs> yeah. No, it's not. Yeah, you're right, it's not. All right, uh, I like to call him D.W., like D.W. Washburn from the Monkees, but uh, Dustin's a pretty prolific indie guy. Uh, if you guys aren't familiar with his work, he did uh, Puppet Monster Massacre, Zombie A-Hole, Her Name Was Torment, uh, a slew of other movies, tons of stuff. And uh, he's uh, made a name for himself by being uh, making seven movies a year, <laughs> eight movies a year. Not for a while, but yeah. there for a while I was making a lot, yeah. 
They've actually been slow this year. Yeah. Have you, uh, was technically Her Name Was Torment 2 was released last year or this year? This year. This year. Really, yeah. And, well, and I actually have been making stuff. It's just, like, with Torment 2 not being out when it was supposed yeah. to be out, like, I learned my lesson with Invalid where I released it, and then, like, everybody, like, was irritated that I was releasing stuff before Torment was out, so now I'm like, I have to get Torment out before I release the eight movies that I'm seeing. Well, you on. also, you probably want to do, you know, some, like, throw it out there and let people know it's coming because what was the one you did uh hornet sting in the hell's cause yeah we're like wouldn't it be a good idea if it just popped out of nowhere yeah if we just did and a surprise it, movie and then like three people watched it and like it was all right, all right. <laughs> well it, except that now that that one's like one of the most popular ones i like, think it's because there's tons of nudity in yeah. it it's very sleazy it's very sleazy yeah. it's like what a skinematic movie or a yeah, uh, skinamax yeah, yeah skinamax yeah. movie it's like art sleaze weirdness yeah so basically, this is a new interview interview segment. I'm going to talk to people that I know, indie people. Me and Dustin are good friends. Uh, there's no secret there, although we secretly hate each other. But uh, I don't gonna... secretly hate you. You secretly well, hate this me. This is awkward. Now. <laughs> but uh, I guess let's just uh, kind of bullcrap. It's going to be really, uh, even though we're wearing nice shirts, even though yeah, I have stains I just on mine. To look, I just wanted to look not like a homeless person on camera. We talked about that earlier. It's like the worse I look, the ruder people are to me. But like if I like shave and go yeah. and get a haircut, people are like really nice to me. But if I'm not, they're like this guy. Fuck this guy. <laughs> but uh, we're going to talk about some of your upcoming projects. I'm going to throw out some questions randomly, yeah. you know, fun questions. Yeah. But uh her name is Torment too. People probably asking, "Where's my copy?" Yeah, I pre-ordered it <laughs> uh, and three. It's like, but there wasn't a pre-order up for three. No, well, there was, but not from the Indiegogo. Yeah, um, yeah the, all the domestic ones are out. Um, I did get a couple returned because I guess people weren't paying attention. Yeah. We asked for, you know, fix their address, so I have to fix those. But other than that, all the domestics are out. So far, the reaction's been pretty positive. Yeah. I've seen mostly good reactions. Um, I, it's one of those movies that. If it's your kind of thing, I think it works really well for you. And if it's not, then you're just kind of not going to be into it because it's not, it's not a pleasant movie. Like it's not a it's movie. Gross. That, it's real <laughs> gross. It's not a movie that like I would just put on for to, for shits and giggles. Um, but the people who are really into gore and depravity seem to be you fucking perverts out there. Yeah, I'm looking at you. I was no, <laughs> but I know your address. I got it off Dustin. I'm coming for you. Yeah. I told that. Well, what's that guy? Uh, the guy who c- catches perverts when he's like. Oh, Why don't uh, you have a seat? Yeah, the Catch a Predator yeah. guy. I can't remember. No, but... Uh, Chris, Hen- Chris Hansen? Yeah, yeah there it is. Yeah. I remember sitting down in the hotel room. You did a screening, and like the cast was there. And it was just like one of the silent like moments where it's just like, oh, you could hear a pin drop. And yeah. it's just like... <clears throat> it, like... The movie ends, and then it's like everyone's just quiet. And then people just like slowly got up and like left the room. And I was like, oh my god. It's what like, have we it's, done? <laughs> it's like one of the cage moments. Like Cage, you know, Keith Boyd Jr. Yeah. Like every time somebody says something like really weird or just something awkward happens, like, and they like look at him, he'll just be like, no words. This guy, like, just like nod. Like. And it's my favorite thing he does. He always cracks me up. But that's how I was. I was like, like when it was like when I saw Snuff It, I was like, I don't even know if I like this. Yeah. I don't hate it. I just like. <laughs> What is fucking this? weird. Yeah. <laughs> it's weird. I see so many movies like that, reviewing movies, you just see so much weird stuff, yeah. and you're like, but when it's weird and it's good, or at least it's different, you're like, at least it was interesting. That's yeah. all I ask at this yeah. point. Yeah, that's how, I mean, that's how I feel about a lot of stuff, is, like, is, is if it didn't bore me. Yeah, exactly. Then it's because a lot of stuff bores the shit out of me. There's so many independent filmmakers out there now, everybody's out there, because anybody can pick up a camera, you know, idiots like, you know, Dave Parker out there making terrible <laughs> movies, but, uh, I just, but what makes you different, you think, than the other indie guys out there? I don't know, I mean, I don't, I have no idea, except for maybe that I'm too dumb to quit, like, that's, like, I, I mean... Like you know, the my career has been so up and down, like financially. Like I feel like it's always been up creatively, yeah. but financially, it's like, woo, 
they're all over the place. All over the place. And if a, a smarter person would probably stop and do... Or just, like, move to a place and, like, edit pornos in a back room and make a yeah, bunch of money. Yeah, something, yeah, but yeah. I'm I'm too dumb to, to do that. I, I don't know if it's that. Uh, I mean, you you do work on the side as well. You yeah. do a lot of different things. You're, yeah. uh, I guess, a jack-of-all-trades. Kind so of, you, yeah. you kind of uh, bring in income through other ways, Yeah, too. I've been doing, like, here lately I've been doing a lot of special effects gigs. Like, for the past year, those have been off and on, and I just did a couple of those, and... That's cool, and then I have a, a kind of a day job where I edit and do videography and stuff like that, and animation. It's funny because I think that a lot of people just think that independent filmmakers, they'll be like, oh, well, you know, like, people, it's, it's such a broad umbrella. It's like, the guys that's, who made Starry Eyes, independent filmmakers, but they're in L.A., and yeah. they, like, make, they, they have so many more connections. They're, like, editing and doing gaffing for, like, big movies yeah. or bigger movies, so their connections are bigger. Mm. Literally, everything you do is created on your own or through, like, this small little indie group, so yeah. it, it's so much more different, and it's... Yeah, I mean, the same sort of networking happens just on a smaller uh, a level. A tiny level. Like, I mean, just when I was on, um, I was working on Powerbomb, I did effects for Powerbomb a couple days ago, um, and they have, like, their, like, I guess she'd be, like, their production designer or whatever, yeah. she was doing the costumes and did hair and makeup and everything like that, and I'm like, okay, well, I'm gonna steal her because she's doing jobs that I don't want to do, <laughs> like, oh, you yeah, know what yeah. I mean? You always see like, people. Like, like, and then you want to get on Facebook, I'm like, hey, you want to come work for me? <laughs> like, it's like, like that. cherry pick the best people you get or yeah. the people you can work with yeah. and not want to punch in the face. But. Which, that, that is the value, I think, of, like, being on, there's a lot of value as a filmmaker being on other filmmaker sets because for some, some sometimes it's really vindicating because you see them doing really stupid shit and you're like oh at least i'm smart enough not to do what that guy's doing yeah and then other times they do something that you hadn't thought of and you're like oh i'm gonna steal that idea and either way dumber or smarter than you they're definitely you're learning from them right to exactly. what to do and what not to do yeah it's funny that there is like drama in like the indie world because it's like this isn't fucking hollywood guys it's like you got to get it done and i understand and you should take it seriously you wouldn't be doing it if you weren't taking it seriously in the first place because it's your free time. And, and those, like that sort of shit is the like because I have no interest in any of no. that. Like I, I just really don't want to deal with any of it. And um, I've seen a lot of that. Like like I tried to turn my focus like more locally minded to the Toledo area, and it's been good. Like I've met really cool people and I'm getting projects off the ground with really neat people. But at the same time, I'm like some of these guys act like they're like Scorsese or something. Like yeah. they, I'm just like, what are you doing? You're making. You're making shitty no-budget movies in Ohio, just like the rest of us are. Stop acting like it's anything else. And the the filmmakers I tend to be friends with and can get along with are the people who kind of have a similar mindset, where they're just like, we just want to make the movies. We don't care about... I don't care about your ego. Right. You're going to die. I'm going to (laughs) die. And that's the end of it. Yeah. Yeah. And then the the funny thing is you say that earlier that you kind of like disconnected from like, I guess I want to say the indie world on a, on a broader sense. And you just kind of focused, you, you eliminated like your Facebook page kind of, you just went to like a fan page. Yeah. Which some people didn't like, but what it's allowed me to do, uh, I mean, especially now with the, the Patreon going on is like, I like, please don't take this the wrong way. Don't take this the wrong way. But like, I do not care about the indie horror community. I, there was a time when I did. I don't anymore. I don't care how they feel about my stuff. What I care about is the people who like my stuff and support my stuff, and that's who I want to completely yeah. focus on. And it's not to say like there's something wrong with the oh, indie yeah, horror yeah, community yeah. or anything. Like I'm not shitting on anybody. But for me personally, as like like this is gonna sound pretentious, but like as an artist and as a filmmaker, um, it just makes more sense for me to narrow my focus to the people who actually actively give a shit about what I'm doing. We just lost a light, but I think did we really? Okay. Yeah, I told you it drains those <laughs> yeah. things. But I also noticed that 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 I feel that way about period about everything artistic. Yeah. If you're going out there to make movies for to make money, although you should always try to make money, 
if your general concern is to make money, you're making movies not for yourself, not to explore some weird artistic thing, then your movies usually suck. Yeah. It's like, I'm, I just wanted, you know, unless they're just balls to the walls, Roger Corman, super fun movies. But they, they were talented besides just going to make money. So right. it pays. There's a lot of people that aren't talented that just want to go out there and make a buck. And it's tedious as hell to watch. Yeah. And the people who are just like, what's selling right now? Oh, I'll make a slasher movie or I'll make a zombie movie, which is fine. I've made slashers and zombies, yeah. but you have to you have to like you're saying you have to find a way to like to spin it especially there's nothing more frustrating to me and um from indie filmmakers when they're just making like shitty versions of movies that yes. already exist they're just making like a crappy cheaper version of the a movie they love yeah it's like oh. and it's like no you have to like play to your your abilities and play to your freedoms as an indie filmmaker like you can put stuff in a movie and no one's going to tell you no and your personal sensibilities yeah we want to see you. You should see somebody in your movie. But that's a problem with a lot of independent filmmakers. This light is killing me. It comes back on. Right. But I got bad juju in the studio. That light does not like you. Yeah. But they go out and they don't watch other independent movies. Yeah. If they they never saw an independent movie in their life. It's like I've seen every slash movie from 1980 to 1989, mm-hmm. and I'm going to go out and make a bad version of that. But they're all the big ones. So you make a bad version of that, and you make some of the same mistakes that a lot of the independent people made previously. Yeah. And. No one's going to be in love with your characters like you are. Yeah. That's absolutely <laughs> There's way true. too many long independent well, that's, movies. That's the thing, too. Like, And I've been guilty of that, too, Like, especially earlier on. But, um, yeah, you run into people who are kind of like in love with their with their screenplays. Like, they've written something amazing. But, like, to me, like, I I write, like, 12 screenplays a year. And none of them are, like, I'm never like, oh, but yours is really special. You know, I'm like, dude, you just write the screenplay. You make the movie. Like, it's not Bloody that. Who Shakespeare. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, you you just finished up on uh, well, let's, let's talk about actually your Patreon because okay. you just started that. Yeah, I just started the Patreon, which is crazy. Um, we we passed three hundred in like a week or something, That's good. which is nuts. That was one of our goals, um, which I have a ton of work to do. I actually taking time off of my regular job so I can catch up on my Patreon because I'm like, oh my god, I can't believe that happened so quick. Um, it's really cool. It's it's a place where. Uh, people who like dig my stuff can go, and it's very, very focused. It's like you can talk to me at any moment. Um, it's just like building a community around liking Dustin Mills movies. Is kind of the idea. Yeah. Um, and it's it's uh, really, really cheap to get involved. Like for two bucks, you can be a patron, or five bucks, or going on up and you get cool shit as you go. And um, it's literally life changing. Like it's already oh, changing yeah. the way that I like am able to do stuff and. Um, uh, I think what's really cool about it, and the reason I want to push it so hard, is because it's also creating this 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 steady like bank of production money. Yeah. You know, wherever like right now, every month I have three hundred dollars that can go into production. Where it's like, shit, a light broke. We need a light, or I want to make this short, but I can't pay people. Now yeah. I can pay my actors. Yeah. Things like that. So it's 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 really cool. I kind of feel like it's the it might be the future of of so, doing too. stuff like this because that's. Nobody wants. There's always hardcore fans that are willing to pay for what they want, yeah. and those are the people that are gonna push this stuff. And forward. those are the people who deserve my attention yeah. too. That's you know that's the thing like I kind of talked about earlier. The people who deserve my my undivided attention, the people who deserve you know for me to like actually spend time and like and, and to to talk to them. And, and, and this sounds really snooty, but I don't care. Are the people who are like we're gonna we'll support you to the ends of the earth. Like they believe in me so hard. That they are, they're willing to to help me get stuff made. You've had that uh, point about supporting. People are like, "I support you." Watching a movie is not really supporting. No. Going out there and spreading the word and telling people about it and writing reviews well, and, the, and spending money on it yeah. and and encouraging them—that's that's support. support. Yeah, 
it is a weird thing. Like, um, there's this weird mentality. It's not just in indie, like entitlement everywhere. It's, it's like, well, it's it's everywhere where it's just like, you know, I support I support the the cause against autism. And I'm like, okay, well, what did you do? Did well, you? I posted that I supported it. Well, but yeah, see, that's the thing, right? Like, did you throw money at it? Did you go, you know, walk, do yeah. a marathon to raise money for it? Like, don't say like. It's fine if you didn't, but don't say you support something unless you're actively doing something to keep it. Well, alive. I never use it. I'd be like, I agree or I disagree. Yeah. Like, I don't support. Yeah, a that's lot that's completely it different. Yeah. to support a lot of stuff, yeah. you know. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing too. Like, I um, as far as that goes, uh, I think that people need to be more aware of voting with their with voting with their wallets about what they want to to keep existing. Because yeah. really, when it comes to arts entertainment, stuff only gets to keep it. Yeah, happening yeah, yeah, yeah. if if you feed it, and um, that's why. And again, like this might be a hot take. I feel like this is everybody's gonna hate me after this interview. But like, I don't, I don't believe in like supporting, supporting the underground, supporting indie film. Yeah, yeah. I don't believe in that. I believe in supporting what you like, because not every indie film, not every underground film is created equally, and not all of them do deserve your support. Yeah, and it, like the the idea of just like throwing money at the world of Indian underground film, like it doesn't make sense to me. It makes more sense to be like, I love Toe Tag. So Toe Tag is amazing. I'm gonna support Toe Tag. That makes sense. You know what I mean? That that's what makes sense to me. And I and like I said, I think I, it's probably would come off to me sounding more like a jerk than I'm trying to be here. But I just I don't like that mentality because you get I've seen it happen. You get people these like hangers on who are like they've made a shitty movie. And they didn't even try, and they're like, "Support, support us. We're indie." And I'm like, "I'm not going to support you just because." It's the people that wanted to make money. They don't really care about indie movies right. in the first place, and yeah. they're like, "Support us. We're indie." Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, it's like, "Support me. I made a good movie. How about that?" You know, that makes more sense. Well, like you said, you pay for a product, they get product. Yeah. That's how it goes. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, that's the like the gross side of it that no one wants to talk about, but like it's true. Like, yeah. it is a business. And, yeah. And the end of the day. Yeah. I mean. I mean, I didn't make money on Song of the Bastards. I didn't care. That yeah. was just something I wanted to do. Yeah. And I do charge for it most of the time, you know what I mean? But I don't make much money. I have no cl- clue how I'm always like, money. it's nice if I make money off of something, but I never count on anything to make money because no. at this point after, I don't even remember how many movies I've made so far, like, I know what a crapshoot it is. Yeah. Where it's like, why did, for instance, why did Invalid, something that like I sort of like yeah. poured my soul into, like was really, really important to me. Didn't really do well. Still doesn't do well. But her name was Torment, which we literally shot in my garage in two days. Like, became this, like, like borderline underground phenomenon that spawned a way bigger sequel and everything. It's just a funny... Like, you can't, you predict, can't it. predict it. But you think about that, almost all the creative movies that people love, they didn't make money. Yeah, no. The thing didn't make... Even on a bigger scale, I'm talking a bigger scale. We're not saying, you know... We're making things, or you're making yeah, no, things, but not, you know the thing didn't make money. It. Night Living Dead didn't make money. Monster Squad didn't make money. There's, those are the best. Those are all these movies that are wonderful. Night of the Creeps didn't make money. Did Prom Night make money? Probably. That movie sucks. It does suck. That's it's what I'm saying. Yeah. Like his other movies, better. It probably made less. Humongous. It probably made less money than Prom yeah. Night. It's just yeah. funny like that. Yeah, it's so weird. It's what works. makes what makes money. Who's in it at the time it hit and everything. And I feel like I'm getting good as an adult at like recognizing like. Okay, this movie didn't do well now, but in ten years everyone's going to be talking about how underrated it is. Like I'm starting to get a real good beat on that because I keep seeing it happen. Like the big one I just noticed is like there's all these people defending Jason Goes to Hell. 
I've always loved Jason Goes to Hell. I think it's great. Uh, it's totally ridiculous, but there's a lot of people who are now like, that movie's not so bad, it's actually underrated. And I'm like, well, no shit. But, like, five years ago, everyone was like, but, fuck that movie! Because the funny thing is, uh, if you start looking back, so many movies are flooding into the market that are just abysmal. Mm-hmm. That even shitty movies, or okay movies back then, you're like, it's yeah. pretty good. You're that's, watching yeah, this a B movie, like, I'm like, that's Wish 5. I'm like, that's fucking awesome. We and, just, I, and when it came out, hated it. Hated it. <laughs> we were just talking about that. <clears throat> Excuse me. How, um... Back in, like, the, the, like, I would say, like, between, like, 95 and 2000, there was this era where even the shitball movies were, were still pretty good. You know Soldier. What I mean? Soldier. Soldier, yeah. When I saw that when it came out, I was like, eh, okay. Didn't hate it. Kind of liked it. Now I you watch it now it, and you're I was like, like, this is great. This is better than 90% of movies I watch now, yeah. <laughs> that, that's what I thought about Green Room. Everybody's like, it's so good. I was like, Green Room's like the caliber of No Escape or Trespass or yeah. Surviving the Game. Solid movies I really, really like. It's but like, they're not they're not number one on any anybody's list like, of that year. It feels like a late night like HBO yeah. kind of like the, the Substitute 3 followed by the Green Room. You know yeah, what I mean? That's what I mean. And, and it's it, totally fine. But everyone, yeah. like, shit their pants like it was the most shit amazing. Shit to bed. <laughs> Best movie I've ever seen. That's what everybody said. I was like, but his previous two movies, Blue Room, which got a lot of buzz, yeah. but Murder Party, which is yeah. genius. Yeah. Nobody talked about Murder Party no. until after Blue Ruin came out. Yeah. I loved Murder Party. And yeah, I'm Murder happy. Party's great. I'm not one of those guys like, I liked it first. No. <laughs> I'm glad it got, I'm glad he's getting it. Because yeah. we would have never saw Blue Ruin yeah. or any, I mean. And that's the thing, like, even though I didn't really, I didn't love Green Room, like, Jeremy Saunier's, like, he's amazing. He's that's really, a guy I'll support. Yeah, me too. Yeah, he's awesome. Like, you know he has ideas, and he's trying yeah. to execute cool stuff, and he has a good beat on character and tone. Yep, and yep. Yeah. yeah, so we like Jeremy Saunier. Saunier, he, sorry for that cut. Or Saunier, I don't know how you say it. I don't know. Do I look French? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it's not French, dickhead. I'm like, it might be, I don't know. I can never say any names unless yeah. I hear them pronounced out loud first yeah. multiple times. Yeah. So people always give me shit for that. <laughs> like, <clears throat> actually, it's like, I'm sorry, I didn't have the internet when I was seven years old. I looked on the back of the box and read it. <laughs> yeah. But uh, what about Rip? You want to talk about Rip at yeah, all? Yeah, we can talk about Rip. Rip is, um, uh, we, it's, it's actually not technically rap. I was just talking to Wes about that because we still have to do his, like, phone dialogue. Um, but Rip is, like, my... I don't even know how to describe it. What genre is Rip? Friday the 13th meets Quentin Tarantino. I guess, right? <laughs> like, I, I don't know. It's, it's yeah, it's like a slasher meets a crime noir action movie, kind of. Yeah, but it's black and white and filmed like a noir, so, yeah, which is crazy. Yeah. And the whole, like, the, the, the whole gimmick. Got that, got that slasher gimmick. Got that black and white gimmick. Got that black and white gimmick. Uh, the, oh. whole, the whole gimmick with the killer is that he never uses a weapon the whole movie. So it's literally just him, like, ripping people masher. apart, knocking heads off, smashing things, yeah. Just call him the Masher. <laughs> what is his name in that? I can't remember. Joe? It's, no, um, Joe it's, um, <laughs> you put me on the spot. Uh, Sonny. Sonny and yeah. Joe, yeah. Yeah, his uh, full name is Sunder Twain, but he goes by Sonny. We never say Sunder Twain in the script, but that was just, I You, you read Sutter Twain? <laughs> you read Sunder Well, Sunder, <laughs> Sunder Twain sounds like a name. But it also, if you, that those Sunder, words yeah. make mean break into, ah, Sunder is to break and Twain is into, so to break into, so that's some real pretentious bullshit that I put in the movie for well, no reason. You know it. We don't have to. Yeah, that's that's good. That's, that's what you're good about. Is you know everything about it. You create this thick mythology like Clyde Barker. I'm not, you know, like the low budget Clyde Barker. Yeah. It's, like, it's deep in there. A lot of people are like, I don't know. He's a fat monster and he eats chili dogs. That's the plot. <laughs> Why does he eat chili dogs? Who gives a fuck? There's tits. Because they're delicious. Now look at them tits. <laughs> Not that there's anything wrong with that. Yeah. No, but but yeah, I guess like uh, 
Rip is... It's one of those movies where every time I edit a scene from it, I'm like, oh, this is the best scene I've ever edited. Like, that's how I feel about that movie. I'm excited. That's the most fun I had, I I'm think, for a character. I'm really excited for that movie. I, it's just the the mashup of all the different kinds of characters and all the good... I mean, everybody put in a good performance. I don't oh, think yeah, there's a single was... bad performance in the thing. Um, Josh Yeo playing the, like, monster, like, he's better than... He's so perfect for it, and he, he, he did, made so many good choices in the acting, and... You got Brandon chewing the scenery to bits. Uh, There's that part where the uh, two other actors kept laughing. Yeah, and I wanted like, to kill him. Yeah, because I was just. I like, mean, I love those I guys. I mean, it's but great, I'm... but like, it's not funny to you. It's yeah. funny. I mean, it's not funny to your character. Stop yeah. laughing. Yeah. You're just like, what the fuck's with this guy? Yeah, well, that's the thing. Like, right? Like, so just so they know, like, Brandon Saulkill is an amazing actor. He's good, and he's he goes full tilt no matter what he's doing. And if you put him with actors that have not seen the majesty that is the way he performs, like, sometimes it throws them off. And we had a couple actors who they kept... Uh, and I, I don't want to make they're them fine. feel bad. They're no, they're good, good guys. They're great guys, and they were great actors. But they kept flubbing a scene because they were laughing at how, like, intense Brandon was. Like, it would just make them laugh. Me and Dave were just off to the side, like... <laughs> <laughs> Come on, boys. I was like, oh, that's funny. Then I watched... <laughs> you know I mean? And I don't... I, like, hardly ever get irritated on set, but I was, like, starting to eat, like... I was like, all right, guys, let's... Every time you blow a shot, that shot is gone forever. <laughs> like, like when they say go, like I don't think like when they say action, it's like I don't laugh. Yeah. Like I'm just like, yeah. Like I just don't know. I just like dead. That's always been my theory. Fun. Theory, right? Like because I don't say action, I count down. Yeah. And I, my theory is always like in that five, four, three. That's the time you have. Yep. To, to switch to switch into the movie, and and like most people can, but you know, every once in a while, I guess. But I also can kind of understand because yeah. if I'd never met Brandon. And all of a sudden, you put me in a scene with him, and he like went full, full fucking saw kill. I think it would throw me off too. But you don't want to look bad. No, you don't want to let that guy eat you alive. No, and you don't yeah, want to yeah. make him, you don't want to make him look bad. Yeah. you know. So you don't want to like you can't. I can't let it slide. Hurt my pride. I can't let it slide. <laughs> want to get eaten alive out there when you just see him? You're just like, oh fuck. The other thing that's cool, cool about Rip is it, there's a lot of locals in it. A lot of Toledo oh, yeah. locals. Um, Almost everybody except except for Josh, Josh. right? Yeah. Um, yeah, and everybody else was. Big cast, too. Yeah, very big cast. We had that colossal shootout, which was crazy to film. and Tons t- of goon extras. Yeah, lots all of goons. All looking goon goony extras. and weird. <laughs> that was all there just for you. That was like... I figured that. <laughs> no, but you're going to want that. Because that if you're going to want them like, goons. You're going to want that goonage. No, but it, it's goonage. awesome at the end. Because it's a big shootout. you got to have a shootout. Oh, yeah. If there's a crime movie, like... Because that movie ends in, like, I don't want to spoil anything, but it ends on a climax where it could have ended. Like, True Romance with yeah. James Gandolfini pairing off against Patricia Arquette. When I first saw the movie, I was like, oh, it's over. That's the fight. It's it's coming to a conclusion. And then at the end of True Romance, there's this, like, Mexican standoff, three-way shootout. And I, yeah. I actually was like this on the edge of my seat when I saw it. I was like, holy shit. Yeah, we go from we go from this, like, big gore set piece. Like, the horror side of it. This big, like, people getting ripped up, people melting, like, this thing. To like a like died in the wool crime movie shootout like the which it's you but like Bruce Willis looking motherfucker comes down the stairs with two Uzis and just like going out a room of guys and I would I had a lot of sodium during that film like I have glove <laughs> handles I'm like I'm all sluggish stop it's ridiculous. we had fun though I had a lot of sodium you had that zoop you getting zoop, that zoop? we had that Val Kilmer zoop that's a shout out to our old podcast. A joke about actors always looking completely bloated on sodium. Dean Cain, yeah, Val all... Kilmer. Who else was there? Uh, what's some um, Legolas, the guy from Lord of the Rings? Oh, Orlando Bloom. Orlando Bloom, yeah. Zook City, USA. Any, anybody we can think of that was Travolta. fat and red. Yeah, Travolta. 
They're just like, like skinny bodies or like bloated bodies, but like just real like puffy faces. Like they've just been like eating like, MSG all day. I feel like at some point Buck Flower ended up in there too. And Buck Flower and Ilya there. <laughs> I don't know why. Oh, you know what's crazy to me? What? I was watching Outlaw Josie Wales and Royal Dano popped up. Yeah. And he was a drunk again. <laughs> he made a career on being drunk. If it was a serious drunk in Messiah of Evil yeah. or like a comical drunk in Killer Dogs in Outer Space. I want my poo bear. Yeah. Where's my poo bear? It's just funny. He just pops up. <laughs> He's always so great. And I'm ghoulies too. Yeah. Dude, I think this guy really was a drunk. It could be. But he's yeah. so good at it. Yeah. He probably became like an Austin where he became a drunk because he had to constantly play a drunk. Do you think he and Buck Flower ever hung out and just talked about how, like, I'm always a drunk? He's like, oh, I'm always a gross, borderline homeless guy. He's <laughs> like, I'm kind of drunk. <laughs> yeah, he's like, it's like the scene when Millhouse meets a Millhouse. This is what it's like when doves cry. Yeah. <laughs> we still got way more. How many more movies you got coming out? Like 12? 30? So there's Hornet's Disciple. Yeah. And Neon Doom, those that's and that's the order of the next two. Uh, I know for sure that it's Hornet's Disciple and then Neon Doom. Hornet's Disciple, Neon Doom, Rip, Blackheart and White Hell Two, Benny and Steve, Benny and Steve almost die. Her name was Torment Three. Um, is that it? You said Blackheart and White Hell Two, right? Yeah. Which I'm wrapping today when I leave. You here. had a bunch of like uh, monster shit shot too, didn't you? For uh, like shorts. Monsters. No, that's for Blackheart. If that's oh, what you yeah, see, yeah. like the monster makeups and stuff I was posting. I thought you were doing like a webisode thing. Oh, that yeah. I'm doing. I'm doing. I love monsters, but yeah. that's more like that's like this. This oh, is right, like you yeah. know, like talking Just and stuff. Talking heads. Yeah, but I did like I did got, uh, get clips. Like I got one from you and yeah. Tom Berdinsky and Rob Dimension and Brandon and all these guys talking about why they love monsters. So that's gonna be like the first episode. Yeah. Everybody loves monsters. Yeah. If you don't, you, you know suck. What? You're weird. Yeah. You're probably like some weirdo. It's like people who are like, I don't really like dogs. I'm like, well. You're a bad person. My dogs suck. <laughs> you never had one. Yeah, You've yeah. never been around a dog. That's yeah, yeah, like yeah. Dogs. If you hate dogs, the only excuse is that you were attacked by one. Multiple. Yeah, <laughs> that's like the only, that's the only excuse. If you, Otherwise, if you just hate dogs, you're... I would you're, just hate that dog. You're Jeffrey Dahmer. I would just hate that dog. Yeah. I mean, Dahmer like dogs. You like to cut them up. I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, I'm going to throw out some random questions okay. just off the top of my head. All right. I'm not going to be like, what's your favorite movie growing up? Because <laughs> okay. everybody knows it. It's Princess uh, Princess Diaries. Right. It is. Yeah, it, it is. Well, two. The yeah, part one. two is really yeah. good. And Bridget Jones' Diary. Stuff like that. Anything two. with a diary. But it's diary then two. So. And Diary of the Dead. Yeah. yeah. Zombie Diaries. Anything with a diary. You right. Just yeah. love diaries. Yeah. But uh, Diary of a Wimpy Kid. Fulci versus Argento. Who do you like better? I think there's a time when I would say Argento, but now I think I'd say Fulci. Really? Yeah, because I don't know that... I love a lot of Argento movies, but I also have this feeling that Argento was only as good as... His crew. His crew, because there's been a lot of, like, bad recent Argento movies. And Fulci was pretty consistent. Like, you could tell a Fulci movie. You know what I mean? But some people think that it was Fulci's writer or producer, his actual one of his producers during it that date, where, like, all this stuff... Like, I think he had the crazy ideas, and it's just, like, a lot of people think that he, like, helped him bloom. That could be. Life. All I know is I've never seen a Fulci movie that didn't feel like a Fulci movie. Yeah. I've seen Argento movies that don't feel like Argento movies. Dracula 3D. And his Masters of Horror things, and none of them feel like Argento. Yeah, but his early stuff is just... He's like an artur, I guess you'd say, or whatever, mm-hmm. Arthur, whatever, but his stuff is all, like, he's exploring all these crazy ideas yeah. originally. He's probably a better filmmaker, I'd say, but yeah, I'm that's a Fulci thing. guy. But Fulci, I think... Like, I loved um, opera. 
Yeah. I thought opera was genius. Yeah. But um, I'm going to watch Zombie 400 times more than I'm going to watch opera. Zombie Beyond all day. Yeah. All day. And, you know, Fulci... He wasn't one of those guys. He wasn't a one-trick pony. Fulci could do everything. Yeah, he Maybe he couldn't do it. Giallo's better than Argento, but he could do everything good. Yeah. I mean, Don't Torture a Duckling is amazing. That's a Giallo, so. Yeah. I'm just curious, you know, ask people Fulci or uh, yeah. Argento. I mean, I love them both, but yeah, I guess if younger me, more pretentious me would probably say Argento, but I think I have to say Fulci just because I, I re-watch Fulci stuff way more. Since uh, we brought up Jeffrey Dahmer, I'm just mm-hmm. going to throw this out there. What serial killer fascinates you the most? Uh, uh, David Parker Ray. Dude, that guy's insane. The toy box killer. Um, not <laughs> only just because he kind of shares your name a little bit, but like he, that guy, I want to make a movie about that because it, it bothers me so much. The idea of it just really irks me. <laughs> like it it's really me. weird. You don't have many victims. And like he, they said he had a low IQ, but nobody there's, found the bodies. He dug them no back way. up. There's no way. He, I mean, he, well... <sighs> I don't know. There's no way he was dumb. I no. mean, he was literally using like MK Ultra military brainwashing techniques on the Like it's insane. Yeah. And you then, guys should look up David Parker Ray the Toy Box. It's Toy Box Killer, right? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, uh, it's horrifying. Like it's absolutely horrifying. Because there's the toolbox killers too. Yeah. The toy box killers. It can't it's hard to keep track of these psychos. Yeah. But the one redeeming thing about him is during the trial. Where they had oh, her in yeah. there, he's like, Yeah, I did it. It's okay, whatever. Just end this. Yeah. And then he died, like, days later or something of a heart yeah. attack. So he yeah, never served like any that, time. Yeah. They never... See, a lot of these guys spend times, uh, years, where they get to spill their guts. Yeah. Some don't talk, you know. But, you know, I'm just interested in serial killers. I think everybody is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not I, that I've, I've, I've worshipped recently, them. I like, think they're garbage. But, yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, as I go, like, I feel like I'm, it's really stereotypical. With the older I get, the more I'm just like, I want to watch true crime. <laughs> like, I'm going to be, like, just one of those old people sitting there watching forensic files on that, loop. Or, that was my mom and dad. I was yeah. just like... How many ways can the husband uh, what, kill the wife and the wife kill the husband? Yeah. They poison him. It was the wife. All right? What? Yeah. It's the same story every time. It's if like, it was poison, it was the wife. The first 48, it's like, they're going to find this guy. Or they're not. <laughs> <laughs> it's the same story. It is funny, though. I don't know why, as it's, I get older, it, I become more fascinated. But It's the equivalent of the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers for adults. Yeah. It's the same setup. You know it exactly is the same way. Everything. Happen, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, you just yeah. keep interesting in it. Which is, I wish that there were like those shows were better because I can't watch I, I can't watch those shows. I, I can watch a really good um, documentary about serial killers and stuff, but like the shows about them are so cheap and so stupid, I can't stand it. One thing that I noticed you're really good at is taking genres that you're burnt out on or don't really like and making them completely your own. I would say this is like Jorg Buckeret who did Necromantic Two. Everybody's like, make Necromantic Two. So he went out and instead of making like the gory splatter movie everybody was begging for, he went out and made this slow art movie where yeah. it's just two naked people talking. And when they would go to the theaters, it's super slow. I think that you kind of did that to horror fans at the well. You have that movie Kill That Bitch yeah. where everybody's like, oh, that's misogynistic, that's bullshit. And then they put in the movie and it's like almost everybody that is a female, they're strong, they're powerful. And it's just a line in the movie that a woman says about another woman. Yeah. And everybody's like, that's misogynistic without seeing it. So yeah. you kind of flipped it on his head. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's the thing. And I, I don't exactly do it on purpose, but I'll be like, like when I went to make Invalid, which isn't a slasher movie. Yeah. When I started writing Invalid, I'm like, I'm going to, I'm going to make a slasher movie. And then it turned into that. Whereas I'm like, that's as close as I can get, I guess, to a slasher movie. Cause it's like my least favorite subgenre. Yeah. There's a, a couple that I love. Like I love the burning. Oh, who doesn't? Um, but yeah, I, I, it's not usually intentional. Well, torment is the same way. Whereas, like, I'm just, I'm gonna make a torture porn, and then I added this weird, crazy psychological aspect to it and mythology to it because if I didn't, I wouldn't like it. Yeah, you, you, know get, you I mean? don't want to make something you don't like. No, 
at all. But uh, yeah, I feel like that's kind of funny that you do that. You just flip it on their head. I, I just imagine so many like people are like, oh, I can't wait to watch a bunch of women get massacred <laughs> and violently. And then it turns to that. They're like, oh, I, that's different. Yeah. Remember that reviewer that said it was ex machina? Yeah. He just, he, makes does, no sense. he doesn't know what that was. I don't know. I had to bring that up because it yeah. was dumb. It's like he, like, word of the day website or something. And He's got his, his little word of the day calendar. It's like on a murder party where he has those words that he writes down to <laughs> yeah. say later. Yeah. <laughs> he gets it with the sodium. <laughs> is that, uh, what is the sodium, uh, what makes you, the true serum? Panafol. Yeah, there it is. Didn't I have a hell of a time saying that? Or some kind of disease, like uh, medicine like that in Benny and Steve? Remember that? Could not say the damn word. Oh, yeah, but I don't remember exactly what it was. Oh, I can't remember. Some yeah, I do shit. remember that yeah, instance. But, yeah, but uh, I have obviously pronunciation skills. Oh, it was it was uh, amyl nitrate. There it is. Or amyl nitrite, yeah. He, yeah. But the other guy said it was anal nitrate yeah. or something yeah. like that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that movie. That'd be fun to watch. It's going to be good. Uh, that's another one where I've put some scenes together, and it's so funny. You and yeah. Brandon are so funny in it. And uh, it's almost a straight comedy. There's, there's really, I mean, there's the sci-fi horror element to it. But when I was making that, I was like, oh, why don't we just make a comedy? Like, we're kind of good at this. <laughs> I, I feel like there's, like, Gay for Praise coming out, and mm-hmm. I kind of play, like, a, I guess I'm a foil. to Brandon's crazier than me and, and Benny and Steve, yeah. but I'm still weird. Yeah. But I play a foil in Gay and Pray too, where I'm just irritated and annoyed the whole time. Yeah. And that's pretty much, but it's weird that there's so many, similar, when I was reading the Gay for Praise script, mm-hmm. I was like, this is a lot like Benny and Steve. <laughs> but as I progressed, I was like, okay, this is completely different. Yeah. But at first, I was like, oh, no, I can't do this. It's the wait, same opening. Wait till you see, and I and I told the, I pointed this out to them, wait till you see Powerbomb, and you realize how much it's like Hornet Sting. Really? It's really, it's weirdly like Hornet Sting. The first Hornet Sting? Mm-hmm. Ah. Like, there's a lot of, like, it's a lot of weird similarities. It's very strange. Did they uh, actually, like, were they like, oh, we didn't do it on purpose, but I don't think. I don't think they did it on purpose, no. I don't even know if they saw Hornets. But, like, I pointed, no, they have, but I pointed it out to them, and I was just like, do you realize, like, this is just, like, but, I mean. It's a common kind of storyline, but it's done, Hornets thing's done in such a different way, you know. But, I mean, I like that kind of storyline. Simple thing. Yeah. Because you get, like, a psychological aspect to it. Yeah, well, that's actually the stuff that's, that's similar is the. There's just like similar themes going on, and then they kind of play out in a similar. It's like the it's like the male wrestling version, like the male non pornographic wrestling version of Hornet Sting. So wrestling's pornographic to me. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I'm just kidding. But, uh, <laughs> got that porno positions. But uh, what was I thinking? I uh, lost my train of thought there. Oh, if you could compare yourself i don't no disrespect to you but like the what b level director do you think you are like out of the big dogs like i'm like i I mean you mean like what like if you're like the they're like the 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 kmart brand of like a big like star (laughs) director like you're like i'm the b-rate martin scorsese or something like that i actually thought about this the other day i think i think it's like a mashup i'm like the 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 7-eleven version of like um, like Cronenberg and Lynch or something, like though that's like I don't know because I feel like I pull my influences from so many different places. But like if I look at like the stuff that, like if I look at like Apple Cart and um, Skinless, like the stuff where that's really like close to my heart, like I feel like it kind of is like those yeah, guys. yeah. Skinless is definitely like a Cronenberg but again, style. literally like the Seven Eleven generic version. Like I'm nowhere, I am nowhere near the level of those guys. I was thinking maybe a Del Toro for your monster stuff. I, could, like that. I, I would like to believe that. <laughs> or a Clyde Barker for your mythology. That You know, I was talking to my um, my boss at my day job about that, because he's a big Clive Barker yeah. fan, and he always asks me about the movies. So he actually is like, he's like half hour a day, 
we're going to sit and you're going to talk to me about your movies. So I'm like, okay. <laughs> so we do that a lot. And uh, um, I realize like how much influence I take from Clive Barker. Oh, well, even if you think skinless. <laughs> yeah. The design of him looks like Frank. Yeah. You know? I just I was just thought of that just now. Well, and skinless is so much like Cronenberg's The Fly. And... Yeah. And a Universal monster movie, oh, like yeah. I don't know, it's like a like a melting pot of just everything I stuff, like. Though. It's like I the Invisible to... Man meets the Fly, yeah. And then it has that weird relationship aspect, like Hellraiser. I guess it does too. Yeah, you know? it's a lot of things. They're all like that. Like that. Like I mean, if you look at Invalid, you can tell that there's definitely Italian influence, but oh, it's yeah. not like one director. It's like just everything I like. Like it's I like, like this psychological lighting. giallo. Yeah, which Argento was really good at it, digging deep into the psychology of killers and yeah. why they did it yeah you know and which got to be inspired by uh psycho right i would get yeah, yeah, yeah a lot of that mean. stuff like that yeah and the psychology of the killer and whatnot yeah oddly enough psycho is probably like the i mean were there giallos before psycho or do you think it inspired the genre well it's always so funny to me about giallos in general because people are like it's a giallo, it's a giallo, giallo. It's like, just because it has giallo aspects doesn't make it a giallo it. yeah like no it doesn't it's so silly to me it's like every movie like, when Giallo was building up to become, like, the big genre it was, there was Giallo aspects throughout everything and yeah. everything, you know, even any kind of movie. And then when it actually took place, just because there's Giallo aspects still in it doesn't necessarily make it a Giallo. Yeah, Same thing with just, Slasher. Yeah. Well, the thing, I don't really think Invalid is a true Giallo because there isn't, like, there isn't the aspect of somebody uncovering what's going on. There's no mystery. Well, there is a mystery, but not in, like, the criminal sort of way like yeah. there are in most Giallos. So I don't think it really counts, but it's definitely Italian-inspired. It's definitely Italian-inspired. People would say it's like Patrick, and it, it's like Patrick. It's like, which is Australian, I think. Yeah, definitely Australian. It's like, yeah, it's like Patrick meets Suspiria meets, like, uh, I'm trying to think. Um, maybe sleazier aspects of stuff like Torso, and uh, what's the one that inspired Friday the 13th, that Bobbitt? Bay of Blood. Bay of Blood. Like, there's little That's pieces of all those in there, so. Bay of Blood has this weird crime aspect to it, though. Yeah. Where it's like, at the very ending, is almost so absurd that you're like, laugh out loud. Cause it's Bay of Blood crazy. is so weird. I love it, but it's so <laughs> weird. And the end is so weird. I love that, though. And there's the guy who gets his head cut off, and it looks like his head is made out of ceramic. Or like Play-Doh. They always yeah. look like ceramic or Play-Doh yeah. or some shit like that. So I think we covered the big ones. Uh, Hornet's Disciple is more like a, a self-aware movie, like breaking the fourth wall. Yeah, I guess it's like, and I didn't really realize Meta. this until we were shooting it, but I guess it's a little, it's a little bit like Human Centipede too, right? Like it's kind of a similar thing where the bad guy in this one is like a huge, is inspired and is a huge fan of the first movie. Did you like Human Centipede too? Uh, no. No, it's. I mean, it's. <laughs> I love you. It said to me too. I. I don't like the first one. I. I don't really like either of them, to be honest. Um, two, I guess, is more entertaining because it's so stupidly gross. Like it's just disgusting. <laughs> uh... But I just like. There's that. I don't have that. I don't have that mean streak that would that I ha that I would have to have to think that stuff was funny. So I'm just like I don't like hate it. it doesn't it's make like mad, but I'm just like jet black sick humor. It's like okay, yeah. Oh, she squirted out the baby. Oh, now she's gonna step on its head. Sure, why not? Let's let's. That part it. was just like. That's like <laughs> every part of that movie like was when, just like when people typically get offended. Either I laugh, yeah. because I know I'm just like, oh my god, I can't believe they're doing that. Or I just do. Here's what I did appreciate about Human Centipede Two is. The movie itself had an appreciation of how disgusting the premise actually was. Yeah. Because there's the part where, you know, he doesn't have them stapled together very well. Because so he's dummy. They're, like, shitting, and it's, like, shooting out sideways. Like, just that stuff. I was like, yeah, I can appreciate they, that they went there with that. But. And the only thing in color is the poopy. Yeah. Ridiculous. <laughs>
But that, that kind of, uh, what was I thinking about? Oh, I, like, I would <coughs> say, like, say the whole genre of those movies can be summed up with one look from Cannibal Holocaust. Yeah. There's a scene where they show, the, the executives want to show, like, the big hot honcho, the footage that no one else has seen. Yeah. And when the real gnarly <coughs> stuff starts happening, like the impalement and the rape, the two, the, the male and the female, the, the head honchos in front of them, they both uncomfortably look at each other in their chairs like this, like, because they know they're fucking in deep shit, yeah. and that is exactly the, those <laughs> Serbian film, Human Centipede yeah, Two. Yeah. It's just this. You like, <laughs> what are we watching? Or like, oh no, like we. <laughs> fuck up. What have we done? We fucked up genre. Burn the Blu-ray player. Yeah, burn it all of it. That's what he says about the footage. Yeah, burn it all. That just reminds me. Yeah, of I don't know that stuff. Like that stuff generally doesn't. But I do like gross stuff. But. I don't know, like, it takes a specific kind to, like, work for me. What's the director, uh, Marian Dora, who did, like, uh, Dora, yeah, uh, Voyage to Gathis and, and uh, Melancholy yeah, Triangle. You saw his stuff, and yeah. his stuff is very gross, but yeah. there seems like to be a point, and it's art- artistic. Yeah, that's the thing. I, I watched uh, Melancholy Durangle, which I'm probably saying wrong, um, and I, to say I liked it is feels wrong, but I had, like, a weird appreciation for it, where it's just, like, there is, I don't like the, because they hurt animals in it, and I really, am, I just, I don't Especially, like it. that's not from the 70s and 80s. It's, no. I know it's not good then, yeah. but big mainstream movies used to do it too. Yeah, it's I know. Like, it's not right I don't like it when anybody does no, it, because it just feels weird, it feels icky. But that's way too late to be even thinking of yeah. doing that. <laughs> like, but there's just like, you know, where I'm watching this movie where one person is over here, like, staring at a snail, and another one's over here masturbating pissing and shitting into a fire and then this guy over here is just jerking off you like objectively it's all disgusting yeah but the way it's shot the way the music is the way the performers feel like they really believe in what they're doing makes it work there's like a, a group of filmmakers that aren't horror directors but get lumped in with them mm-hmm. he's one of them yeah york buckaret's one of them mm-hmm. uh kareem hussein's one of them these guys make this like visually horrific shit that's artistic yeah. and they're art films they're art horror and everybody's like, oh, they get like lumped in with the extremity horror movies, the extreme yeah, horror movies, different. and they're not. But yeah. I like, I like those better because there seems to be a point. Like I love extreme movies when there's a point. Mm-hmm. Like I, I'm not bothered. Like I like Serbian film. I think it's a well-made movie, and mm-hmm. it's more of a crime drama than anything. It just has yeah. these horrific elements. But I can get past that because I like the movie. Mm-hmm. And the horrific elements are just batshit crazy. Yeah. Or like a August Underground, the first one, or like the third one. I like those movies, but sometimes when it's just shock for the sake of shock, it's just pointless at this point. Because like yeah. I, I heard an interview with York Buggeret, and he's basically like, it's all been done before. Yeah. If you're not going to do something new with the shocking stuff, then why just shock me? Why yeah. just, that's all you're going to do? Then it's already been done. Yeah. And that's the thing, uh, like, I feel the same way just about gore in general, where if the gore is not going to be done in an interesting way, yeah. You have to be aware, as a filmmaker, of the fact that I've seen a person's sl- throat get slit a million times in a movie. Yeah. So either don't do it, or find a way to do it that is different. You know what I mean? You or shoot it a different way, do the effect a different way, do something. Or do it the best that's ever been done. Yeah. Like, uh, I'm trying to think. We just watched The Majorettes. There's so many throat slitting in there. Yeah. Like, all the first ones, like, that's good. And then they just keep doing it. I'm like, Yeah, like, three repetitive. throats in, you're just like, I get it. That's his, you know, right. It's pretty good, but I already seen that. Yeah. I'm trying to think of uh, some just like, uh, you know who always would do such a good job with his special effects? Mm. Giannotti Del Rossi. Who's that? The guy who did like all the effects for the Italian movies. Probably said his wrong name wrong, but he did like zombies. Oh, okay. He's so like he did those like clay pot looking yeah, zombies. Yeah, but and, like yeah. the zombies and zombie are horrifically oh, the gross. Oh, the effects in zombie are great. But see, I love gore effects. I love gore effects, period. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to monster gore effects, like in The Void, those things are nasty and gory and gross. Mm-hmm. 
I love that shit. Me too. All day. That that one in the void that's like he has the hole in his head, and he's still he's like slamming his head through the pipe. That literally like bugged me for like a day. Like I was just like that is so fucked up. The void is like two missteps, and if if those missteps were gone, it would be like the best movie I saw in ten years. It's too it's too derivative for its own good, but I still liked it. I really really liked it a lot because it kind of fed a, a um a fascination for like that kind of horror for me. Like that, I don't get to see very often. Like, like, yeah. not that they did a bunch of stuff that's never been done, but there's also just not a lot of that kind of. Horror. Not anymore. It's expensive and it doesn't pay. Yeah. Nobody wants. Everybody wants to see it, but nobody wants to pay for it. And yeah. every time it gets paid for, it never makes its money back. I don't think. That's what I feel like. Yeah. Like monster movies, they just they're they feel like they're dying, which is sad because I don't. Want, I'm going to get negative here for a second, but a lot of the sci-fi monster movies that used to come out. When I was a kid, Sci-Fi Channel, I turned it on. I watched some Full Moon stuff. I'd watch, you know, that stuff, and it was blast. It was great. Loved the Sci-Fi Channel. Now, like the whole idea of celebrating purpose, failure on purpose, is just a waste of my damn time, and I don't, I don't like it. Irony is ruining genre film. Like the the total lack of sincerity and snark. Yeah, yeah. I mean, irony and snark yeah, go similar, hand in hand. Yeah. And it's just like, yeah, that's the, like, I like I understand that people love the Sharknado movies, and if you love Sharknado, that's fine, like, I'm glad you have something you love, but I watch those, and I'm just like, I can tell they are doing this on purpose, and that makes me not me like too. it. Me too, I'm not interested. But somebody was posting about it, and they mentioned it, and I agreed 100% with them. They said, what makes movie oddball weirdo failures so endearing is because they were endearing, and they did it with sincerity, a lot of times this happens when a foreign director comes to America and doesn't understand everything he's yeah. doing and makes a movie. You get weird shit like Halloween Night, mm-hmm. which is just so bizarre and different, but serious. Even though it's stupid, it's serious. Even something like Black Roses. It's yeah. just, I know that wasn't that same situation, right, but yeah, like yeah. it's endearing and I love it. Like not in an ironic way. That's like, like same like, thing with like Neon Mania. Yeah, it's a failure. Yeah. But it has so much cool shit. I love it. it that's the thing. Like I don't want... I don't want the filmmakers to know they're making something bad. Yes. I don't want them to try to make something bad. Like, bad on purpose does not work. Like, I'm trying to think of a single movie that's bad on purpose that I actually think works. I can't even watch stuff like The Room, where people are, like, celebrating this guy's yeah. failure. Like, I mean, I think the, the Room the room and Troll 2 and stuff, like, I do think they're funny. And I think they're funny because it is, like, since like they were sincerely yeah. trying to make But I also don't think they, they deserve to be... Held up the yeah. way people. I like Troll too, just because the special effects are fun and yeah. it's Italian and it has some cool stuff in it. It's stupid, it's retarded, it's not a good movie. I know that. But like, if you were to take something like Killer Crocodile, which probably a lot of people would be like, this is so bad. I'm like, dude, this movie's awesome. Yeah, it's a giant crocodile. It's scary as shit. It's, it's super eating bloody. people. Yeah, I like it. Yeah. I don't see anything wrong with it. Like, or even something like Devilfish. I remember watching Devilfish mm-hmm. and like, this is cool. I like it. That's the one that's Shark to Puss before. Yeah, Shark yeah, Puss, yeah. Right? So yeah. it's like I don't know. There's like a fine line between that stuff. Like I like that stuff i don't look at it ironically and i hate snark and i hate like looking at it like it's so good like (laughs) i can't stand that i just don't like i don't like when the the people um making the movie feel like they're better than the material yeah don't make it then yeah exactly and slasher movies the throwbacks have been so bad about that lately Mm -hmm. but a couple of them like i said pool party massacre yeah yeah they knew that it was fun they knew it was like the genre but they didn't hate it and they made jokes in it, mm-hmm. but the jokes were done by characters in the movie, yeah. not the actual movie. Yeah. And something like Dude Bro Party Massacre, yeah, uh, who's the, Pat Oswalt's in it, he's hilarious in it, but 
it's a movie that's just making fun of the genre. And yeah. I don't see any genuine love there, which is really sad because it had a big budget and there's a lot of cool, fun stuff going in there. It's just, I don't... And that's like the thing it. too, right? You can you can pick on the genre and still make a good movie. Like Edgar Wright's really good at that. Where, but he loves the genre. Yeah, he loves them, but he knows. But he like he's. It's like you know you picking on your best friend. Yeah. As yeah. opposed to you picking on somebody you don't like. Final Girls. Yeah, I'm really good about that. that. Yeah. Good. and it's PG thirteen. Really, it still so, works. Yeah, yeah cool. it works. But some people think at an R it would work better. Yeah. I don't know. I enjoyed it. It was heartwarming. It was touching. Yeah, I have been meaning to see that one. It's good stuff. Yeah. But it's so hard to, to, I don't know, is it hard to walk that line? Just don't make stuff that you're going to hate. Yeah. Uh, don't hate. That's I, Yeah, I think you just have to believe in what you're doing. And and your low-budget fucking $2,000 movie is going to be crappy enough without you trying to make it crappy and funny. It's already crappy. Yeah. It's uh, Not to be a dick, but you have it, to, I'm saying Slime Little Bastards already sucked. Just, just on the basics of I don't know what I'm doing. Not the actors, <laughs> and not the people involved. Making but it doesn't. It, it suck. sucks because of me. But I went out and wanted to make the best I could. Yeah. And well, that's why the movie doesn't suck though. Like Slime Little Bastards, like, is so endearing to watch because everyone in the movie is in it 100. percent Like we weren't like we like there's there's dumb like there's fucking fart jokes and shit in it like that. But yeah. it wasn't like. Weren't little monster movies stupid? Let's make fun of them. It's like, no, we all love little monster movies, so let's make one. We love that stupid yeah. shit. It's great. It's fun. I grew up in it. I have a, yeah. a soft spot for it. So it's like, that's what I'm saying. Don't go out and try to make a bad movie. But yeah. you don't have to listen to me. Well, that's just, I feel that way. I'm and not like, going to like what you do. That's the other thing, too, is like lean into the crap. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, just accept what's going to be crappy about your production and then try to make anything you can better, better. Yes. You know what I mean? Like, there's some things you can't help. Like, I'm sorry that our location's not great. Yeah. I'm sorry that that's a watermelon at the end. We, I'm not. That's my favorite part of the movie. Hit that point where it was like, yeah, this isn't gonna work. We had it and we tried it. We're like, this is not. But gonna it work. does but work. Had, it works in a completely different level, though. That's, it's like, that's actually my favorite part is when when Matt goes to kick that monster and it turns into a purple smiling watermelon. Makes frowning. me so or frowning. Yeah, makes me so happy. Like it literally just like my heart swells at that part because it wasn't done. To be like, isn't this stupid, guys? It was just like, well, we need it to smash. Fuck. So. I don't have. We can't. We don't have time to make this. We don't have it. But it's so genius. It's so. I don't know. I, I like Jeremy. So I was like, go get a melon, and we'll make it look really good, <laughs> as much as we can. A round melon, maybe like a really big cantaloupe or something, and come back with it. He came back with this fucking watermelon like this. I was like, <laughs> I was like, I was like, this ain't gonna work. But I was so stressed trying to finish that. At the end, I was just, like, I don't give a fuck. Just, just paint it. <laughs> But it totally works, though. I love that part. You don't even understand how happy it makes me when that happens. Like, it's just like... Are we going to make Halloween spookies, too? Yeah. We got to. It's hitting the deadline, where the point is. It's going to be tough. I'm quick. I'm not. I know, so get working. <laughs> I, don't, I don't even know who I want to cast in it. I can shoot I can shoot mine in two weekends and have them edited and ready to go. Like, if I... like, I can... I'm not editing mine. <laughs> just... <laughs> Now I'm shooting and editing your. No, no, I'll I'll edit it, but you might have to come in and give me some pointers. Okay. I mean, I edit, but it takes me a very long time. Yeah. Because I'm just not good at it. No, you get better as you go. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm okay. Yeah. But it takes me a long time. That's fine. Yeah, we. I mean, I I plan on doing it. We have to. We can't. Yeah. We, we 
been wanting to do it as a yearly thing. We can't fucking back push on out the second now. year. <laughs> it's middle of July. We have time. Yeah. It have doesn't time. have to be full length. It can be. How long is the first one? Fifty minutes or an hour or uh, something like that. An hour and six minutes. Yeah. So like it doesn't have. We just whatever we can get up there because in my head it's just a Halloween special. Yeah. Like it's not like this big like full production movie that we have to get out there. It's just like this is the Halloween special from people who wish there were still Halloween specials. Yeah. Yeah. I think that movie, like, I know a lot of people got it, a lot of people enjoyed it, kids enjoyed it, but, like, the stuff that, I don't want to talk about people that don't like it, but, like, if somebody gave me legitimate pointers, I'm all for it, man, yeah. I need help, help yeah. me, but just to be a snark, some people just, like, didn't get it, but they still wanted to talk shit about it. I didn't see any good, like, there were, there were, there were... No good, bad reviews. Right, yeah, there's no well-written bad reviews, they were just like, I didn't like it, and I'm like, okay, <sighs> it probably wasn't for you. Meh. <laughs> if you don't care, you care enough to write meh? You kind of care. Well, that was the thing, like, fly, the down, fly here. down here. There's, the, like, the people who are like, it didn't capture the Halloween spirit at all. And I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? What do you want? Like, the movie is nothing but Halloween. There's fucking pumpkins everywhere. It's all about trick-or-treating and candy. Like, I cram as many fucking pumpkins <laughs> as I could in my shorts. <laughs> yeah. It's, like, it's got Halloween coming out of its ears. If, if I turn a Halloween movie on and I don't see a pumpkin. Yeah. One star. Done. <laughs> Ow. I'm just kidding. I'm like, meh. Just, I'm just <laughs> I mean, hell, Halloween opens with a damn pumpkin. Was that too with the pumpkin shot? Yeah, yeah, come yeah. on, yeah. No, we got to do it. We have to. We're gonna do it. I already told Cash we were gonna do it, so we can't let Cash down. It's fucking Cash. Dude. No, <laughs> just they're still making power bomb. Yeah, are they done? No, they're done. They wrapped. Good. The day I was there was the last day. Because then we can use some of them. They're done yeah. with that, and he was just in this. He was just Cash was just in this short called Skin Lane. That a local guy's doing that I went and did effects for last night. Ah, uh, so. they do well. Yeah, I mean, cash is always good. Cash is good. Yeah, um, I did like a. Well, maybe I shouldn't say. I guess it's a spoiler. Nah, spoiler. Yeah, I don't want to spoil the movie. Is there anything else you want to say before we wrap this up? Patreon, uh, any new upcoming movies? Really, just like right now, like I, people, if they like what I do, should go to the Patreon. That's the best way to support me right now. Um, to get my stuff on. DVD and Blu-ray, really the only place to get it right now is Grindhouse Video in Tampa, Florida. They have a great web store. Um, great store, too. I saw. I wish I could go in there. It's a great store. Mike Sandlin, who runs it, is an awesome guy. And he's right now the like my sole um, retailer of all my physical stuff. Because I'm, yeah. I'm personally moving all to like streaming. But there is a point on the Patreon, like, what is it? How much a month to get? If you do, I think it's 50, you, you get like physical copies of every movie that I make while you're on at DVD or Blu-ray. Yeah. Yeah. Whichever you want. Um, if you get in for five bucks, you get a, I give you a list of links where you can watch everything that's available streaming right away. Um, right now we just passed our $300 goal, which means that we're going to start doing the, um, her name was torment podcast, which is going to be an audio drama that like explores the mythology and psychology of those movies. Um, and, uh, Oh, and we have, a Patreon exclusive short. All the Patreon contributors will see it before anybody else that I'm filming next weekend. That should cool. be really cool. So um, it went way. F it's gone up so so fast that I was not anticipating the oh, amount yeah, of yeah. work I have to do. But um, like I said, I'm literally taking time off work so they can make good, make sure that the Patreon stuff gets done because I, it's really important to me. Um, but if you go to Patreon.com/slash/dwmills, that's where it all is. And um, yeah, just like literally two bucks. Like some people are like aren't contributing because they like feel like it's insulting to like to, to leave like a dollar tip on a $30 bill. And I'm like, no, please. It's better than like, nothing, it's yeah. better than nothing. And 
those two dollars like add up and add up and well, add up. I, I did five because I was like five's good. I do five for the Patreons usually. I, I, there's a lot more I want to do, but I do it for last podcast, yeah. pure cinema, yeah, stuff yeah. like that. You know, five bucks times a hundred. Yeah. You know, it's, that's it's, yeah, it's a big deal. Um, so that's I mean that right now that's where I'm dedicating most of my time. Um, keep your eye out for. I'm still not sure how it's going to be released, but it's coming soon. Is the Hornet's Disciple and the Scars She Left, um, which is crazy, crazy sleazy, and has great performances in it from um, Jayanya Lupa and Ronnie Jonah, who's also in Powerball. Yeah, Ronnie Jonah's awesome. She's really, really good, um, and she's super, super brave in this movie. She, I mean, I think she did stuff in this movie she's never done on film before. So um, she's amazing. They're both amazing. Um, <clears throat> you got Neon Doom after that, and then Neon Doom, yeah, which is a science fiction. Science video. fiction, like, PG-13 level... Video game style movie. Yeah, 90s inspired video game thing. It's, it's all kinds of shit. Like, Did we shoot that in 2014 or 15? I don't know. It's I don't remember. It feels like a long time ago. And then you got Benny and Steve. Yeah. Her name was Torment 3. Yeah, which was... Uh, her name was Torment 3 is definitely next year. And Rip. Yeah. Is Rip this year? I don't know. We'll see. I want to see Rip. I know. I'm working on it. Rip isn't a hard edit because, because of the new sound equipment we use. So all oh, the, yeah. the sound is... Is synced up. Synced up already. You still need to get me in there for a couple ADR lines? Yes. Right. I need to get you for ADR. I need to get Wes for ADR. And um, there's a couple effects I have to finish, but it, otherwise it's done. Awesome. Yeah. Still got to get that scene with Brandon for Benny and Steve. Yeah, I haven't done that. You better get that. Yeah, probably. Before the movie comes out, maybe. <laughs> just, <laughs> or just find a way to cut it. <laughs> literally just edit it in into a cartoon, yeah. like you always do. Yeah. You're like, this is the animated sequence. That's not a bad idea. I turned both your flashbacks into cartoons. Yeah. I may just do that. What was my flashback? Where you're in the, the suicide helpline center and you... Oh, you, you got may, my voice? Yeah. yeah. You can do that. That would be fun. I might do that. That'd be cute. That would be funny. Just to, just like a little Edgar Wright yeah, like yeah. whip pan to a cartoon of it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think we're good here. Okay. Unless you got anything else to say. That's it. Go to my Patreon. Give me money. Give me uh, <laughs> Henry Zabrowski, last podcast on the left, puts me in tears when he's like, give me your fucking money. At the end of the podcast, he's like, thank you for your money. Like, <laughs> I think it's, I, I don't know why. That, to me, is better than somebody be like, we really appreciate the money. He's like, give me your money. Like, I don't know why. <laughs> it just makes me laugh. It would, I... Yeah, also, this doesn't relate to me at all, but go listen to the last podcast. We love it. Because it's the best. They're the best. It's the best podcast I ever. listen to all their stuff now on there. Me too. I listen, like, well, not everything, but I listen to Roundtable of Gentlemen, and I really uh, like it. What is uh, Sex and Other Human Activities, yeah. Page 7. Yeah. I love Page, I love Abe, all of it. Abe, Abe Lincoln's Top Hat. It's funny that Ben is probably the least educated when it comes to the last podcast, but when it comes to Abe Lincoln's Top Hat, He's the most he knows educated. his shit. Yeah. You know, it's, yeah. But I love all those guys. They're great. Fuck! Fuck! <laughs> We're advertising like a podcast that gets like a hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, yeah, they're they're like they're like they have so much more money than us and don't need our help. But whatever, screw it. We're out of yeah. here. Yeah. All right. What's the matter, Dylan? The CAA got you pushing too many pencils. I oh, beat you to it. I was gonna say. <laughs>